Hello, everyone, and welcome back once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Site's weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitale. Uh, joining me, I've got a full crew here today. We've got Josh Torres. Finally, a relaxing week. We've got Adam Vitale. Hello. James Galizio. Hey, folks. Chow Min Wu. How's it going? And joining us for the first time in a while, we've got site contributor Scott White. Howdy. Welcome, Scott. Happy to be so here. So we're, yeah, and welcome back, uh, everyone, to the TetraCast. If you listened to us last week, thank you so much. We are still recovering from that marathon of Tokyo Game Show announcements and Nintendo Direct and State of Play and RGG Studios. This week seems like a lot more kind of normal pace in terms of the number of things to talk about. So thank goodness. Still kind of recovering from all the things that were announced and making sure that our schedules are aligned for the end of the year, all the stuff coming out in October, November, and December. This week on the news front is significantly lighter. Uh, we do have a few Tokyo Game Show kind of just things that have trickled out right near the very end of that because we recorded on Saturday and it ended on Sunday. So we'll have a few couple things to catch up but on this episode. We're going to focus more on the front half of our typical podcast schedule where we talk about games we've been playing and we've got some newer releases that we're going to focus on of interest today and there's been one game that i know a few of us have been looking forward to with a little bit of interest but not 100 sure exactly what we were going to expect out of it and that is going to be our headline for the podcast today and that is the dio field chronicle so dio field obviously was announced earlier this year and just came out last week. We had an early access for those that pre-ordered like the digital deluxe edition or something like that. And we've had a couple people play it, namely Adam and Josh. I believe Josh has finished and Adam has uh, made significant progress into there. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and start with that going forward. I think I'll hand it off to Adam first, just picking out of a hat. Uh, Dio Field. Obviously, this is a strategy RPG from Square Enix, a new IP. Uh, what is this game and how are you feeling about it so far? Is this something that people should have on the radar for a September release? Well, first of all, the title is The Dio Field Chronicle. I think that that's actually there's actually a little bit of a importance to that, I think, in terms of the way like the, the story is told. Um, it feels like a chronicle in a way. But in any case, uh, this is mean? the Diofield Chronicle. It is, uh, it's a game, it's published by Square Enix, it's developed by Landcars, who's done a handful of you know, strategy-type games, strategy RPGs, including Monarch earlier this year, which I know Scott was a big fan of. Uh. That's a joke. He wasn't <laughs> much of a fan of it. Um, I don't know if it's like, I, don't, I doubt it's the same team or whatever, but it's Landcars, it's the development studio. So it's a new IP, it's not tied to any you know, existing property or anything like that. Uh, the first thing I'll mention is this. When this game was first shown um, at a PlayStation, like, state of play, I believe it was early this year, like March, maybe. Um, I know for like, for like five seconds, people were wondering if it was like a tactics, like a Final Fantasy tactics type game because it showed like like the the kingdom and the empire banners. It showed like a like a board, like a field, and it's like, is this a tactics game? Well, it's technically a strategy RPG, but it's really not like tactics at all. Like that's the last time I'll mention it. Um, it's not a grid based, turn based strategy RPG that you know are pretty common uh, in that genre. But instead, it's more like in terms of its gameplay, we'll talk about the story in a second. Um, it's it, it's isometric, so you're kind of like viewing from a camera from top down, like a tactical RPG. But instead of a grid, you're moving characters in real time, um, and you you get a squad of four characters in, uh, in battle, 
and then you move them in real time, and then it kind of plays more like a like a real time with pause type of RPG, or I I guess it also some people say it plays almost like a MOBA. And so you're, you're going to move your characters around. You basically tell them who they're going to attack or where they're going to go. And then to access abilities, you, there's basically like a big pause button that you hit. And you can access any character ability, you know, obviously various attack abilities, heals, buffs, and whatnot. And then once you select it, the game unpauses, goes back to real time, and you're uh, in the actions continuing. So yeah, it's got I that guess, sort of start-stop sort of feel to it that might take a little bit of getting used to. Go ahead, yeah, Josh. I, I, yeah, I guess to to distinguish, like, there's actually, like, a full stop. Everything is actually, is like, like full stopped in motion. It's not like FF7 Remake where things are still moving in very, very slow-mo. Like, everything is just, it's full stop. And you mm-hmm. are selecting, like, movement or abilities. So for, yeah. just, for, just for that. So people don't feel pressured, like, you know, that things are still going. It's like, no. Things are not going in the, once you go in, into that menu in this game. So I don't like to sneer at other uh, at other outlets, especially those that are magnitudes bigger than ours. But I saw the Giant Bomb YouTube preview: Dio Field Chronicles equals New Final Fantasy Tactics? Question mark. And I just oh, I read just... I read that and I just kind of say like, uh, so well, why maybe is they thought that... it was if they weren't paying attention to like trailers. Yes, yeah, I mean, but you know, um, you, know, you know how people are like these days, especially when they think of like a strategy RPG. The first game that we'll think of when you hear strategy RPG is naturally either Fire Emblem or FF Tactics. You know, mm-hmm. not really. Now, to be Basically, fair, there are, there are a lot of... is the new Persona. Yeah. Let's go. Let's, <laughs> okay, I'm getting right now then. Now, the, to be fair, there are a lot of projects that deliberately emulate Fire Emblem and Final Fantasy Tactics. But Diofield is not one of them. I keep saying Diofield. The Diofield Chronicle. Well, it's called the Diofield Chronicle, but obviously that's Diofield for short. Okay, so the, I bring that up because Diofield, it doesn't really play or feel like a lot of games, at least in modern like releases in terms that it comes out. It's, it's, it's got its own feel to it, and that goes in for both of its, its gameplay as well as like its story and its characterization. So basically, the premise of the game is that your main character, the main character is named, the names in this game are great, uh, oh, Andreas Runderson, I believe. Yes. Uh, I might have missed a syllable. Uh, but he is, uh, he is, his friend is Frederick Lester, and they basically befriend a young prince whose name is Leviathan. Le- it's not Leviathan. It's like Levantia Shatham. Not Leviathan Shatham. <laughs> um, and uh, they're just young. You know, they're like eight or nine or whatever. You know, they meet each other. But then uh, Levantia is killed. Um. The others become a kind of their own little mercenary unit, along with their friend uh, Isolaire. I don't remember Isolaire's last name. Uh, oh, Wigan. <laughs> Wiggins yes. or Wigan. Yeah, I guess it's easy. No, one second. Yeah. They form a mercenary unit, and basically, very early in the game, they save uh, a character from bandits, and then that character is basically like, "Well, I'm sort of the coordinator for this." For this uh, lord, do you want to join our mercenary unit? And you're basically like, yes. And that's kind of the where the game kicks off. Or what, what did you want to add? Yeah, I just wanted to add that like like the Vantia Shatham, like they establishes very early on uh, as like because they have like a they they in in Dio field they operate like on a monarchy uh, sort of system. And Levantia was like uh, one of the people in that royal bloodline that uh, was to be successor one day because one of the things that this uh, 
game establishes very early on in that story is like the successor to the throne usually has a mark on them and then as dictated by called uh something called the mark of the blessed which kind of looks like kind of small crystals on their like their uh right like hand yeah it's literally like crystals in their skin yeah and so he was the fourth prince of this kingdom you're this is set on a, in a kingdom called alatane on this island and even though he was the fourth born prince two of the princes don't have the marks but one of the other one of his older brothers did so he's a he's basically like second to the throne and let me bounce off of that to say that this game uh in terms of how it exposits like its world and its story I think it it it, it does it in a, in a refreshing way. So there's a lot of like lore and story and history and like places in this world, but it it exposits things, both characters and places and even some events, very quickly. Like it might get a mention here or there, and then you just that's just that's it. Um, that might sound like a bad thing initially, but I actually kind of find it sort of refreshing that how how the world and how the characters are introduced. It's uh, I know a friend of mine called it terse. Or it, it just says it, and, and then it moves on. And I think that's actually kind of cool, the, the way that the, like the world, you're basically dropped into a world that the narrator in the game does introduce some things to you, for sure, but it, it basically just sort of accept, uh, expects you to, like, all right, this is what's happening. You got it? Let's go. And I actually find that kind of refreshing, rather than having, like, you know, maybe a more typical generic RPG where... The characters like talk about the topics and circle, you know, like it, it doesn't dwell on it. it it's very, yeah. it's a very uh, fast, like fast-paced story-wise in that respect. Like it doesn't, it doesn't dwell like a lot yeah. of uh, modern RPGs. Like you don't have the characters play. kind of talking circularly around the plot, basically mm-hmm. making sure that everyone's on the same page. And like, are you? Do you know every single detail? Um, I'll, I'll give an example <laughs> of like how like the pacing is in this game. So, for example, like uh, a, a sample scenario very early on, like your, um, your out to explore or scout like this um this the nearby demi humans which are you know there's several uh races in this game but uh like demi humans is one of them and uh, th- these demi humans like kind of kind of like uh, uh, people turned into beasts and they're uh, ra- uh you know attacking this town and uh the the your mercenary unit notices like you know, they're doing it a very uh, uh, uncharacteristically organized fashion like uh because they're like you know the demi humans are more, but... yeah, yeah. Demi humans are more like scattered about and more kind of think about, uh, go about these more thoughtlessly. So you go out there to go investigate and rid of the demi human um, threat to this nearby village, and then uh, uh, after that threat is uh, after you quell that threat, like you know, there's like some very brief cutscenes of like that. There's like a, a, a conspirator behind all this of like who is manipulating them, just off to the side, kind of like monologuing to themselves, like for one or two sentences. But then, like the very next cutscene is like a story vignette that's like maybe three minutes, and that and that and that goes to like okay, your mercenary unit, like they they found out who who is doing this, uh, and then like and talking about like you know the political like consequences of, of this, uh, and so forth. So like it goes from one one story beat of like it, you it almost feels like it almost feels like um, the in between chapters. I think this is what you're talking about. The narrator will kind of explain like some events that happen that you don't necessarily see firsthand. Yes. Uh, it's sort of like this happens 
with these in this area, and then this happens in this area. Now let's kind of rejoin our heroes as they like plan their plan their next yeah. event or whatever. There's just like a whole story arc into it, but the only time you actually quote unquote play that play out that story arc, like for example, is like the lead up to it, and then like the uh, the outfall of it will come in that story vignette, and then you go on to like to like the next big big like you know um, story sequence or plot relevant thing. Like it, it doesn't dwell on like on, on like a quote unquote arc for too long. It's just like kind of introducing it to you, and that may or may lead to something uh, down the road. That like the, because of the consequences of this plot line, like another thing might happen later on that was a result of like the fallout of that. There's an event that happens right at the end of the demo. I don't know if I can spoil it because it's relatively early, but I think that's also a pretty good indicator of like how this game story is told. Uh, it's a character death. <laughs> Um, yeah. and it doesn't like in, again, in other games, it might be like a big dramatic moment or whatever, but here it just kind of like, it's treated like an event in history, mm-hmm. like this character died on the field. And so this is and the, the blue foxes do this and this, like, yeah, they, they don't um, dwell on like, on like they're trying to find out who killed it. It's like, like does the, there just says it could have been like a straight arrow. It could have been this and this, but like, they don't like, they, they, they don't, it doesn't lead to like, oh, then the blue foxes tried to find out the mystery of this death it's like no this is just just what happened in the, on the battle and, and that's that's where i kind of that's this is this whole all the stuff that we're talking about right now is sort of what i meant how this game is called the Diofield chronicle because it sort of feels like the narrator is kind of giving us a chronicle of things that happened like not necessarily like a novel or whatever or an anime or anything it's like it's almost more like a more historical recollection of things that take place and we get to we get to see pieces of it um as you play through the game uh, does that sound fair, Josh? It's yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty much. That. Yeah, yeah, because it's like it's mm-hmm. almost like opening up like a, like an old journal, and then like mm-hmm. you, you you can feel like you know if you were to read this as a book, you would get a very similar like reaction mm-hmm. to it or a very similar tone to it. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, characters in this game kind of similarly, uh, you you get like I think by the end of the game, I think I'm in the last chapter, chapter seven. Um, you get around 20 characters or so um, that you can play uh, in your field. You can only play four characters at a time uh, in any battle. And then each of your four characters that you bring to battle can have what they call an adjutant, which is, so you have your main unit, your character, and they have all their abilities and their stats. And then your adjutant, which is basically like their support unit, they basically offer their abilities to the, that unit. So you kind of have like these pairs um, in each level that you do and you know there's a, there's a fair bit of flexibility in terms of like different types of abilities and different types of units that you can have uh it's not like super expansive maybe like a fire emblem game but um there's some cool things you can do and i there's even some characters i have never really even messed with and i'm not really even sure um or unit types i should say that i'm not even sure how, how they what they can contribute go ahead how large is the roster because i've played the demo and you okay, and so josh have already you and Josh have already touched on a couple things that I uh, was kind of surprised by because unless my memory just absolutely stinks, which sometimes it does, like I don't think the demo like suggests the inclusion of non-human races at all. Uh, so that must be something that's introduced later. But then uh, in the demo, it's four characters that are playable, and that's four four units and four adjectants, and that's how it is throughout the whole game. Yep. So and then you have yeah. twenty. So I'm guessing you find like your favorite eight to ten, and then you just got some that you just never really kind of get used to. Well, um, there's a couple of smaller things, but first let me talk about the characters themselves. Character writing in this game is sort of similar to what we were talking about with like the story writing, in that 
characters, um, there's not like a ton of character interaction between characters. There is some for sure, but like you'll talk to a character, you kind of you kind of figure out where they're from, what they're doing there, why they join you, and then like in between battles, occasionally there'll be basically a kind of like a mini quest to talk to a character where they'll discuss a thing, and different characters kind of have different focuses. But it is also pretty to use my friend's term, term again, terse, uh, where they kind of just like say what they need to and then they move on. Um, there, there's not a lot of like banter or um, there's some uh, or just like chatter. It, the kind of characters just kind of say what they need to. They're very efficient. Uh, and then you kind of just get kind of get like a glimpse of like, oh, that's what this character is. This is their background. Here's why they're here. And it kind of feels like that's enough. For me and anything else about that character you sort of just infer about them based on where they come from uh their status you know there's some characters that are more like related to the church there's a character you meet later who is part of like who's a basically a very big advocate for democracy and she kind of forms a relationship with iscarian who is kind of also from the alliance and so like you kind of get these like bits and pieces of this character interaction it's not a lot um it doesn't like inundate you with tons and tons of character interaction like some games do but it's, i feel like it's almost just sufficient it's enough and you kind of fill in the blanks in a way and i actually think that's also sort of refreshing um i don't know how josh feels about that i i really like the way that they handle characters in this game because like it's very to the point it doesn't uh take any like filler like filler for it it's like here's our, our, our basically what you need to know about this character and then there'll be some like optional quest that you can undertake to like kind of expand this character but not like too too much it's just like like say for example um one of the people that may join you is like uh kind of like um part of like a, a different uh, faith of the church and mm -hmm. then like you may get to know about them and they're like the, what their beliefs are and like their motivations to like why the why they're in alatane but then like there might be a quest later on that like there's like some someone is after them and then you kind of go quell that and then you find out who the uh, who the, the ident uh, identity of those people after them are and then that's it you know you don't have to learn more about them it's like that's pretty much the the gist of that character and like you can you learn enough about them to like make them like go cool okay that's what's going on with you you know, and that also sort of introduces, in that case, like a schism, schism in the in the church and like their faiths. Mm -hmm. But it's not that's not necessarily like a big plot point necessarily. It's, it's more, more just a like building point. Yeah, you know, it's, it's more like, just like this schism in the church between these faiths exists. It's in this world. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with like the main narrative, but it's part of the world and it's part of this country that you're in that you're this game is in. really good at like uh, like uh, like just uh detailing very uh, like, uh, very concisely like like the the the, the internal and external tribes uh, of like what's going on in both like in the internal conflicts in deal field and like any external conflicts that may be occurring that like th are, are threatening the deal field like the the alatane and like the kingdom that you're that you're part of but it, it doesn't like it doesn't really like go out of its way to like explain every little single detail it's like it just once again like we're talking about it's basically just like a journal almost of like this is what's happening and that's what you need to know and i, I like like you said i find that really refreshing too and i felt i feel like it, it lets it lets the story like be on like a way bigger scale that you that you think it is but it's manageable in your head because it only gives you the info that you need to focus on without having to worry about like every single little like political faction that's at play as the story plays out.
So it seems yeah, like I mean, it's like and less also Dio Field is n- yeah, Dio Field is not a very long game. I've seen people beat it in around 20 let's just say 25 to 30 hours. Yeah. Um I'm at like 23 hours and I'm pretty sure I'm close to the end just based on where the story is right now. Um but it feels almost bigger than that. I can't wait for the like, ending. Yeah, I I I don't want to say what I expect to happen yeah. obviously cuz that's a spoiler, but like starting around like chapter f- four or maybe even three but there's clues earlier you kind of get a feeling of like what this is actually happening mm-hmm. um i I'll, I'll maybe i'll dm you or something yeah. about what i think will happen okay uh, yeah um interested. but uh it feels but my point is is the game kind of feels like a lot happens in a 25 27 hour runtime in terms yeah. of the game itself um we mentioned before you have four characters and four adjutants this is something i actually have never used because i've never needed to but early on, I think like chapter two, you get a function where you can actually you bring four units into a battle. And then partway through the battle, you can actually swap out a unit. You can, you can do that three times. So let's just say like a unit is weak or they run out of mana, basically, or EP in the game. You can swap them out for a different unit. Have you ever done that, Josh? I never have. Uh, I I did it I did it once because there was a story mission that uh, had force deployments and then the, for some of the force deployments I had a character I had a character that like I didn't really have equipped with like accessories and like so yeah, you swapped them out immediately I saw I swapped them out immediately because it was a force <laughs> deployment situation but like what a like it, it force deployed like three characters and like another one that that, that I could swap out and the other three were yeah. locked in but mm-hmm. uh, that, that was the only time I really had to use it um, I, I guess I should also mention like well. We're on this gameplay subject is like I think one of the things that the game really is like really shines at, and it depends on like a certain type of player that you are, but it really rewards uh experimentation with that uh leader unit and subunit type of deal because the sub because once you like once it clicks in your head that like the only thing that the subunit is really there for is for their skills for your leader unit to rely on. So the what what the 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 power level uh, and like how effective that subunit skills is is only uh, taking into effect like the leader's stats, the leader's traits, character traits, and the leader's accessories. So and then there's a lot of like like traits and accessories that characters have that like that makes you think it's like oh okay if I let's say for example I have Andreas um, paired up with a unit that can use a gun and what and that gun has um like uh like a skill where like it fires off like a real gun and has like a long like a long range so you can like get in like a lot of multiple enemies with it so um if you start uh, spitting like the the gears in your head of like like if like say andreas had a trait that had like um or an accessory that had like it'll increase x percent damage per enemy in a skill field you know you would pair like andreas and that character together and that 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 railgun skill will do a lot more damage because not only does Andreas have juice stats like you know just as a DPS character, but also because now he has that skill that uh, takes off the that takes that trait into account, and then the the railgun skill having multiple opponents in that field just has a damage multiplier, and just sorts of like synergies like that, like but for like across the whole cast, and there's a lot of like like really cool experimentation that you can do with that game and like it felt really really rewarding in that respect to like mess around uh deal field is actually a pretty darn easy game but Mm -hmm. almost kind of like in the good way a game can be easy because it's just kind of fun to find like 
combination of characters and units and abilities and sometimes like accessories and weapons that have certain bonuses and just like if i put this puzzle piece together and this puzzle piece together and this piece together i create like this uber powerful combination of attacks to basically wipe out lots of enemies at once or whatever yeah like and, I, I, like everyone will have like their own version of like a god skill rotation by the end of like well yeah. I, I use these like three to four skills to like wipe out enemy clusters like in two to three seconds and it feels really good to do that <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. um, yeah i think probably my biggest criticism of the game mm-hmm. is a gameplay element in terms that like uh most levels play pretty similarly that's yes. probably that's probably like my biggest thing that's just like i kind of wish the design of like the levels was a little bit more was, there was a little bit more variety and maybe like enemy types as well you kind of see like the same enemy types um but overall i still think like my main takeaway with the field is that it's just very refreshing both in how it plays how it tells its story how it writes how it writes its characters and you know it's hard to compare it to other games Right. Um, because of how kind of refreshing it feels. Yeah, and this might I, be a little agree. bit shallow, but I actually, like, from my time with the demo, I just also just kind of enjoy how it looks, both the 2D art, the 3D art, and even, like, the UI. It just, the feels, UI like good. It's, it just feels like it's not aping anything else. It's got its own identity. And even just, like, when it does, like, the, the panning of, like, the, like, we've seen so many tactical games of every type of strategy genre, you know, the kingdom of so-and-so versus the empire of so-and-so. But even that, it has, like, a different feel to it. Just, it doesn't feel like, oh, this is some fire them at home or I, 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 I think the ui is somehow like excellent and i know that's like a weird thing to praise but like the font is really good i'm playing on pc so i don't know if like if you blow it up on a tv screen if that might be worse but on a pc i think the font is good i think like the colors are good in yes. terms of the text and like some of the ui like like pips and other things that you see and the the um the, the, there's little animations in the ui in terms of like if you're like moving along the skill tree or if you're selecting an attack there's like a little highlight about along it um like the colors the font like the formatting I, it's like this is actually like a really legible ui and it's like it's easy to kind of tell what it does and or what where to go and what things do it's like it's actually like I, I want to give props to the whoever designed yeah, this UI. They did a good job. Okay, several things too. One, I also I love like the, the environmental like dioramas, like the like the pan of the, of the mm-hmm. environments when you go into like a mission, like that. I, like every environment in this game, like looks really really nice on the eyes, and I really like that about it. Like it does get a little bit samey because some like it starts giving you like a lot of like optional side missions that kind of have like the same objectives and similar environments that so starts to losing a little bit of that luster. But it's, I still praise it a lot for like the just like how good the environments look, um, and also just big, big, big props on this game for actually having like really good keyboard and mouse controls. I played this entire oh, yeah. game with keyboard and mouse, and it feels so good. Like the controllers are controls are like fine for this game, but like the additional binds of having one through four to like manually select your units on the fly, um, like uh, just instantly is nice and actually having like a drag and drop box to like easily more micromanage like two to three characters to like go do something while the other two characters do their own thing like feels really good and like the, fa- the that's, fact like, that of, we kind of, of described this game as like real time with pause i totally agree basically is what i'm saying i couldn't maybe maybe my brain is just too used to like pillars of eternity or baldur's gate or even like uh age vampires just like i couldn't imagine playing this game not having the ability to like drag a box and select multiple units and yeah i did that a lot in this game it it, like it because like i really like micromanaging some engagements and like it felt really good to like just see it 
all play out. And also, I, I won't ever stop saying, but like big props to Land Cars, like for being like the only like Square Enix thing out of like all the JRPG releases, like just putting out a PC demo, you know? And that, like that's that, true, uh, yeah. And then it was a really good solid one, and like making like you know it got a lot of people sold on like, hey, this like plays really well on keyboard and mouse. That PC options are like pretty decent. I think the ray tracing in it isn't broken. Is broken. Like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think it works. One <laughs> thing I will say, and this is actually the main reason I have not picked it up yet. Square, you need to tell all of your developers to check the box that lets you have Steam Cloud support. It's free. You don't pay for it. There's no excuse. Yeah, yes. for some reason, I guess there's no cloud support on Steam. For yes, this game. yeah, guess. Steam cloud support. I almost assume, like, I assume it's there until I learn it's not. Or it's like, As oh, you I should. Just, it's free. Yeah. It costs them nothing. Yeah, that that that's all. That's all weird. Uh, like a mission to to. to so, so you're so this is not a this is not a game you can easily play on your PC and then on your Steam Deck. Yep, so. and and Square, if if you're listening to this. That's one lost sale. I was about to buy it until someone told me that it did not have Steam Cloud saves. And I was like, nope, I'm good. Yeah, that's a shame. But yeah, I, I mean, th- there's so much I would like to talk about this game, but I have to t- talk about it with Adam Diaz because yeah. there's like a lot that happens in this game. That like, The story not- kind of goes in a direction you don't really expect. Mm-hmm. I think Quentin actually sort of sees it already. <laughs> Oh. It's like it's like it does things that I wish more modern RPGs did, but I can't say that out loud, like exactly what it is, because like a lot of it is spoilers, and it, like it's kind of weird that this game like does that, while like a lot of other RPGs kind of shy away from it. And I I I respect like just like the the boldness of this game sometimes with what it does. So let's say I'm and not then, a strategy RPG fan. Like, is this game like how I guess technically? inclined you have to be like how 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 much affinity do you have to have for srpgs to enjoy this not, game or is it not really it's a pretty easy game to be honest like you don't have to think too hard about like your approaches to uh, to, to to the battles in this game it really i, th- I think I, people should just give out the give the demo a try and see if like if the battle system jives with them because that's something that's going to be hard to like say if like if because this game plays so differently than most other rpgs that's not like a one-to-one thing like if you like fire emblem you will like this game if you like ff tactics you will like this game it's like that's not necessarily the truth because the way that this game plays is so different from all those other games so i would say if you like the what how it plays in the demo i would recommend giving this game a go whether it goes on discount or you wait on it or go pick it up right away but I think it's a really, really refreshing game. I'm not gonna say it's like a masterpiece, but person like for me personally, like I was by the end of it, I was like, I think this will probably be on my game of the year list um from after completing it because I just find a lot of like aspects to it to be really refreshing and really like I wish more RPGs like did this uh, type of game um in terms of like how it how it designs are its designs are and the way it's like its gameplay mechanics move and the way that how adam put it like the way that like the ui and the hud is laid out it's like everything makes sense of like where it's supposed to be and we didn't even get to like the base building of this game there's a whole base building mechanic where you're like you're upgrading facilities at like your your mercenary base Uh, so like and then as you upgrade facilities you'll get like more passive bonuses whether it's like um if you keep upgrading like your cooking facility you'll like your characters will uh get more experience out of like missions once they reach a certain level of like their cooking facility or like they can expand like the the weapon development um facility so like they can develop more weapons with mats that they get 
throughout the game and uh and they can purchase uh once they unlock it they can purchase it from the shop there's like a lot of like moving parts in the in the base building mechanic but like it makes the economy the whole economy make sense like there's like aspects of like the like the economy right uh, that I, are kind of like what are these like gold bars used for what is like what do i like actually do with this like what's ap what's sp and all that but once you actually start digging into like how different parts of the economy like whether it's from um upgrading skills on the skill tree for your like your types of units to um researching buffs for like the summons that you can use in battle to developing new weapons and then you factor in like the 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 traits that characters can learn like unique traits for themselves that they can learn when once you level them up and then what what sorts of like um weapons you equip them with because uh character or abilities are tied to weapons so like uh, for example like i, I know you have like a, a like this will this will concern you brian but it, i assure you it's not that bad but like at the end of like the weapon trees there's like a quote-unquote like what could be considered like the best weapon at the end of that tree for that stats but then there's like another alternate tree for like another weapon that has like less stats but like different abilities just because that uh weapon at the end of that tree has better stats doesn't necessarily mean that'll be better because of like what your party composition might be uh in terms of like its skill set like for example my sword and shield people like the tanks like i could have equipped them with that uh that best weapon at the tree but i didn't want that because the 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 quote-unquote second best or or less best had like a a shield stun on it that would interrupt um enemy units like incoming like big attacks so like i opted for that because i valued um you know being being able to interrupt those attacks just in case my units ever forever in a spot where i couldn't like move them to a a position where they they could evade that entirely yeah so basically so, well, weapons have their own sense sens abilities are tied to weapons it, it actually is sort of like like final fantasy 7 remake where there is no there is there is a weapon that is sort of considered the best but like hey there's some alternates that could be could good be your fit your like con coordination of abilities and characters better because of the abilities it has and, um, and i actually kind of really like well, even in the demo there's a little bit of that where there's like a weapon with the best attack stat but then there's like another weapon that has a different set of skills on it and it's it's in a way it's like it's frustrating but in a good way if i have choice paralysis where i'm like ah i don't know which sword i want to buy i as long as it's you know like because because each one has its upside i actually kind of really enjoy having that sense of pause rather than just like oh i need a thousand gold to buy the top weapon is this one this is the only choice there is there is no decision making the fact that you have to make a decision i really enjoy and there, even just a little taste of that in the demo i thought was promising to, so to hear josh say that i'm actually like really looking forward to yeah that's uh the, that's all i really have to say about it for uh, for, for at the moment i mean i just Oh man, I, I I still think about the ending of the game. <laughs> My biggest concern was the storyline because of mm -hmm. the Fire Emblem <laughs> Fates comparisons. Oh yeah, um, surprise! Surprisingly, like the the story is like I'm not gonna say it's a masterpiece, but it's it's a, amusing to go through. Like it's like it's very interesting to be like oh okay, this is where they're going with it, and it's really interesting to see like what sort of twists um they they throw into it that actually like affects. You know, sort of the way that you game uh, that you that you play it as well. Like uh, I, I won't say anything else, but there are definitely like things wrenches thrown into that story. They're like, oh, okay, these are like, this is how it kind of changes up like my next battle, like from what I would usually do. Adam, do you have any other concluding thoughts on the Dio Field Chronicle before we move on? 
uh, I always talk about how I, I find new IPs and new, you know, things that aren't tied to existing canon are nice. So, so deal field is nice. It is kind of nice because like it is complimentary. It's not that we can't appreciate the other things. Like we're talking about how Aiden Chronicle probably had the best TGS showing and that's a spiritual successor in ways to Sweet Kiden, which or Sweet Kaiden, which obviously we also had the HD remaster announcement. We also talked really highly on Xenoblade 3, which you know, it's nice to have the variety where we have, you know, sequels, we have, you know, connected games and now we have a game where it's like it's hard to compare this to anything else because it is its own thing. And it's cool that we can have Deal Field Chronicles slot in that place and hopefully show up on our individual lists, if not our site list, uh, at the end of the year as one of the best RPGs of the year. And I'm planning really like to... The, I really like the English dub to this game, too. I just thought I had to sneak that in there. I really like the English what is this in this and that's And that's, uh, that's high praise coming from Josh, actually. It's done by uh, it's done by Side, who's done quite a lot of everything. So, I forgot to ask how how's the soundtrack? I heard the Game of Thrones direct uh, music composer was on. It's it? good. Yeah, it, it like it, nothing about it is like bad. Like it's it's very fitting. It's kind of sometimes too. It, it's kind of like sometimes it's more often, subdued. Yeah, it's more subdued. But sometimes you'll get like this really intense track during like briefings that it's like okay, let's go. <laughs> But it's uh, it doesn't ever get in the way. It's never like too obnoxious. It's like it's a it's always a nice accompaniment to like what's being depicted on. The... It's very suitable, I think. Yes, it's not gonna be like it's not gonna be like a JRPG battle theme where you almost want to get up and dance or whatever. It's like you know, it's just it's very suitable. Well, I'm planning to jump into uh, Deal Field Chronicle uh, pretty much pro- probably right after this podcast. I do have the head start because I did play the demo, and I do echo Josh's sentiment that it was... I was probably going to grab this game anyways without the demo, but I really do... We talked about Square Enix a lot over the last year because they've released a lot, and I do appreciate their uh, their kind of new focus on giving these previews, but I do wish more of them were available on PC. But so I hope that is something that is a trend going forward because I just I do think that it's helpful and I do think it's good for visibility. And I asked Josh the question, should people try this? Well, there's the demo and it's not limited time or anything. So no reason not to at least, you know, dip your toes. Yeah, the demo's like not even just on PC, right? It's available on PlayStation, it's available mm-hmm. on Switch. You know, I don't know if this has an Xbox release. I I forgot off the top. Yeah, of my head. it does. Okay. Yeah, then the demo should be up there too. So cool. And with that, we'll transition to another release that is not quite out yet, but we have just recently posted a review for a September release that we have been anticipating for a while, uh, for some of us for longer than others. And that is the official English localization and release of Trails from Zero. So obviously this game we've talked about on the podcast as the official localization was announced. We talked about it last year back when we had the fan translations for the um, Crossbell games released from the Geofront team. And now we have Nice America's official, you know, Western release of the game. We just literally, I think as we were recording this podcast, uh, the reason why we have brought Scott White to join us today on the TetraCast is because he has published his review for the Western release of Trails from Zero. Now, Scott, uh, I've talked about yep. the Trails uh, series before with... that. Before mm-hmm. that, like as always, um, just uh, letting folks know again, there are folks on this, the RPG site staff that had been involved with the Geofront project and specifically uh, contributor Colin Black uh, did get paid for some of his work on the opening video for Trails from Zero when it was yep. purchased by NIS America. Just always got to make sure that's like before we talk about this game that that's made clear. It doesn't we have impact dis- our like views on the game or anything, but just 
And we have that disclaimer in our uh, in the review as well. So, Scott, I have talked to both Adam, uh, James and Josh and others about the trail series in a lot of different contexts. Now, with you, I'm not actually 100 percent sure, like how where you are at in the series, if you've played the Crossbell games before, if you've played the Cold Steel games. So just kind of give us some background. Is this your first time playing Trails from Zero? If it was, what are your thoughts? How long have you been looking forward to this? And just what, what are your impressions of the game? Sure. So my background with, <clears throat> excuse me, with with trails in general is um, well, the Legend of Heroes trails arcs. Right. Um, I started with Cold Steel, played through those, went back between three and four, replayed or played through the Sky Games, uh, first chapter, second chapter, the third, um, and then I had started going through the Geofront translation of Zero. And I got to like chapter three before the announcement of the official that it was officially coming out, being localized or being brought over by NIS. So I stopped then and I'm kind of and I kind of halted. So I had played through a a good portion, I would say, of you trails uh, trails from zero before it got the official release. And I've been dabbling, and I'm partway through. I've done the beginning. Ch- couple chapters for Hajimari, which is cut releasing next year as uh, Trails into Reverie. So that's kind of my my background with, with the Trails. And that's kind of cool because I think it's pretty distinct from, I think all of us have a quite a, a different journey that we've had with that series some of us since the beginning some of us have been trying to play in you know chronological sequence obviously that's been difficult since the western release has been so kind of up and down uh so we'll focus primarily on trails from zero here of course so uh i'm just kind of curious we have your review up on the site so i do want to make sure that Mm -hmm. we direct people to go ahead and read it but you know for people that just want to hear your impressions firsthand uh as someone who has played uh did you play all the cold steel games Yes. Or just the I first. Okay. The, yep, I played all the Cold Steel games. All right, so we can just kind of go ahead and obviously we want to try, this is a, uh, a very narrative-heavy series that we want to try to make sure that we discuss kind of as like, at least spoiler context, you know, in mind with regards to that. So we're going to focus on Zero here. Just what are your thoughts on this game? What is this game? Uh, and just your impressions on just this particular release. For sure. So Trails of Zero is the first game that takes place in the Crossbell city-state, kind of the independent state that's stuck in the middle of an awkward, intense relationship with Erebonia on one side, um, which, which is where Cold Steel, the Cold Steel arc comes, uh, is kind of focused in, and Calvert, which is where the currently in Japan series Kuro no Kaseki is taking place. They're kind of stuck in the middle. Um, and this is before the events of Trails of Cold Steel. So they are, Col- uh, Crossbell is just balancing this tense kind of relationship, trying to remain neutral and independent um, between these two warring factions, these two warring nations. And to kind of improve the standing of the, pol- the, the view of the police department in Crossbell with the general populace, they created the special support section, which is a, in essence, a police equivalent to the mercenary bracer guild that mm-hmm. is known the world over. And for players who are coming from more of a cold steel background, this is the, f- the founding of the section that Lloyd, Tio, Randy and Ellie are all part of. So it's, it's getting 
to finally peel back the the layers and kind of the pages of how they got together, why they're so why they're these viewed as such heroes in the Cold Steel games and talked about in such revered and uh tones and everything and getting to see what made them so great and what makes them so great and this yeah, is the so first if you played if you played cold steel i think at the end of two specifically you get an, you basically get introduced to lloyd there so that's where if you played these games in english yeah. you've seen that and now this is basically well where did lloyd come from here and they spoiled yeah. uh, <laughs> uh well, obviously if you played there. it out of order there's going to be you're going to learn story bits in a weird order perhaps if you well, played cold steel first that's just yeah, kind of the well, nature of the series now it, so. It's funny because like the way that uh, Crossbell and Arabonia, at least the first half of Arabonia kind of works is that in a weird way, like Cold Steel 1 and 2 spoil less about like Zero and Azure than Zero and Azure kind of quote unquote spoil about Cold Steel. There's actually a little bit of concurrency, right? You actually, yeah, yeah. between the two in terms of it's not it, it's not so uh, nicely cut clean. The, the Crossbell arc takes place and then the Cold Steel Arcade place. They actually overlap. <laughs> yeah, so. like I have friends to talk about this back in the day. They were like, which one should I fir- play to avoid the most amount of spoilers? And they're like, uh, well, you should play Cold Steel. <laughs> you should play Cold Steel 1, Cold Steel 2, until the Divertestment, then play Zero and Azure, then play the Divertestment, then finish Cold Steel 2. I say just... Start I've seen people to... unironically argue that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just like, I don't care about... Like, just just learn, play... you'll, you'll learn it in some order. Well, play, yeah, play whatever you want to play first. If you even start with the third, who cares? Just fucking play it. If that, uh, that's the thing that... That's the best one, so... Yeah, that's the thing that speaks to you, then go for it. Hell, go, go start with Hajimari. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, I, it's, it's Hajimari. It, obviously, you can start there. It yeah. says beginning, right? I mean, I want to take it to that extreme. So I kind of played it in a strange order. Like everyone, like I said, has a, their own order. So I played the first three Cold Steel games. And then Cold Steel 3, I, I was really starting to feel like, okay, I'm missing context. And of course, compared to you know Japanese players who played these in the order they released, even from Cold Steel 1, I was missing context. But then I go through the... Um, the two I played through the Geofront releases as they were fan translated. I purchased the PC version as they existed from uh, uh, whatever Joyland, whatever, whatever those site, older PC. I think. Yeah, those older PC versions I played uh, per- after purchasing them, and it was like, oh, so that it's that explains what happened at this moment in Cold Steel Two. Oh, that's what happened at this moment in Cold Steel Three. So it's it's not like I was spoiled. I just saw the two different sides in a like on the way adam described and like uh, the, basically what they what they saw second in erebonia's context i saw second in crossbell's context uh so i do want to say that obviously this was kind of a surprise to western fans of the series that nis america was going to take these games that at some point it's, it's it feels like so long ago but it almost felt like that these were a lost cause that these were going to be Japanese only that we would never see official Western release that we were just going to plow forward and these would just be a, a gap. But then they decided, nope, we're going to we're going to support these at the expense, at the opportunity cost of potentially delaying. You know, we've got we're behind behind, quote unquote, on Reverie and whatever ends up being the Western titles for Kuro Nukaseki 1 and 2. Uh, this game, Trails from Zero, came back, came out in Japan, I think, originally 12 years ago. Um, was that a concern at all when you played through this, Scott? Did it feel antiquated in any way? Does it feel like this was worth it? Like, what what are your th- thoughts on playing this game as a standalone product, or do you do you think that this was the right move? I think with 
just with the increased visibility that the later Cold Steel games had into in reference to all the events that happened in Zero and Azure, like with the later Cold Steel games, I feel like they had to. And with mm-hmm. Hajimari focusing even more on having Lloyd getting an own trail, like him being one of the main protagonists. And that's a good point. That's a great point. I, I think technically even more so of a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> like directly. It, I think it was a necessary and, and I, I kind of got that feeling from the whole release, whole re- official release that NIS did was we have to put this out just because everything that happens in these games is so paramount. We can't really, not have them for the players. I think they, so they just kind of pushed it out. Well, it's like, okay, well, here they, you go. They, we they know say, people want it. So. They say that, but then they also, obviously NIS America, the first one they published in the West was Cold Steel 3. And they're like, yeah, you can start here, <laughs> uh, which is not an untrue statement. It may not be the most prudent, but kind of, kind of, you know, they're kind of between a rock and a hard place. There is no decision that has no opportunity cost at all. And it does seem like they're doing what they can because obviously as we look for Western releases in 2023, we are slated to get both Trails to Azure and Trails into Reverie. So yeah, at least the pace is at that point, even though it's still obviously unfortunate to be a few years behind the West, the, the Eastern releases. Um, so Trails from Zero uh, is a game that I think all of us here have played in some fashion or another now that Scott has played the Western release, except for Adam. Uh, my impression of this game, having played all the Western releases that have been officially announced, plus Azure, except Cold Steel 4, is that Trails from Zero, I think, I would have to like contemplate on it and sleep on it, might be one of my favorites, largely because it is, it's not self-contained, but it is kind of like self-starting. It doesn't require mm-hmm. a lot of, well, I say it doesn't require a lot of background knowledge. The, the, I would say the Sky Trilogy is not essential, though obviously those characters do make a, a pretty major appearance in the Crossbell games. The but best I just, subplot in Zero is like directly following up on Trails in the Sky the Third. Which is yeah, why, even if you can like start with uh, Crossbell, I always recommend trying to play uh, Trolls in the Sky first. And it is hard to discuss because we don't want to spoil things, but I really enjoy kind of Zero's antagonist and Zero's main kind of crux of where its story climaxes at, mainly because it is something that is not so interconnected it does have that major connection to trails third yes but i just kind of it it kind of is a it's hard to describe this in generalities i just really enjoyed the vibe of trails from zero's antagonist uh it's not directly related to all the antagonists that are so dotted throughout the cross the sorry the cold steel games where you know we've, we've seen sort of the criticisms where and bad guys are not allowed to be bad guys, at least not fully. You know, they don't they usually pop up long after they've been defeated or they just re- continue to show up again and again. Like, I forget his name, the, the flame dude that shows up in every game and you fight McBurn. him like 18 times. McBurn. Yeah, it's just, I, 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 music. yeah, it's just uh, I, I having only played one through three, I've fought McBurn so many times. 
that it's just boring now where I'm just like, I don't care about this guy anymore. Where keep saying how strong he is. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, <laughs> shut up about him already. Where, where Zero doesn't have that problem because it introduces a new kind of set of antagonists and kind of it, it self-contains them in a, in a, at least relative to the other games in the series. And of course, one of the things that I thought, and I'll, and I'll kind of hand the ball back over to Scott after this to see what his impression was, is that I really enjoyed Zero's cast. It is, it is basically hyper-focused on the special support section, the names that Scott put out, Lloyd, Ellie, Tio, and Randy, and that's it. And that, well, 99% that's it. And that I actually really enjoyed because the game is a pretty lengthy RPG that focuses on this really kind of close-knit group of people and doesn't allow the cast to balloon out further than that in significant ways, which is kind of a different vibe than what you get in the Cold Steel games, especially as you go as you go through those and i actually really 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 appreciated that so i don't know if uh scott had the same feeling about the close-knit uh party of uh trails from zero yeah it was i can see why this special like the cast is so held in such a high regard among fans like it is such a tight-knit i like more of the smaller scale look uh that trails to uh, trails from zero had like with trails in the sky, you were going all over liberal. It was like a giant nation. You were visiting everywhere. Same thing with tra- uh, cold steel. You're going all over Airbonia. I like how kind of condensed and fleshed out cross spell and the support section got and all the characters got. And I mentioned this in my review. It almost feels like cross bell itself is a character. Um, just because it is so condensed and kind of focused on a smaller area that they had, they were able to flesh it out more. It's I, I love the cast. I loved Randy and cold steel three and four being able to, to see younger Randy being still the, the swooning ladies man and the interaction mm-hmm. between him and Lloyd is fantastic. Um, no, I, I love it. I love Zeit. Even though I, I, I I think there should just be a game developed where it's just all the blue and white best boys from <laughs> RPGs, like the Palamute repeat and Zite just going on uh, adventures together. I think that would be fantastic. But no, I, I loved it. And having not having gone into this release of Zero with some knowledge of what was happening, having played through a good portion of it prior, I have n- no real visibility or knowledge of Azure outside of kind of what gets spoiled through mentions and stuff in Cold Steel. So I'm anxious to really dive into Azure next year with a a very fresh set of eyes and see the craziness that comes about in there. Um Zero yes. is a is an interesting uh like game that they could uh, push out at this time too because like I've seen all like you know a good handful of people like who have like played you know one to two like or all of the Cold Steel games like wishing for like um a smaller scope sort sort of like a return to Liberal sort of Trails of the Sky uh story pace or like the uh, sort of that deal so like it's nice to, like they have like something new to like look forward to that's like more looking back at the past almost something like kind of return to more simpler times. In, in, in that uh, series, uh, which it helps out a lot, I guess. Like, it just like you know, I just want to go back into the, I want to get back to the trail series, but I really don't want to 
I really don't like where the Cold Steel series left off. And now, like, you know, hey, just try, try Trails from Zero. It's like, it's like how you're saying, it's just like, it's it's nice and laid back. It's more, it's less, it's less about like traveling around like big, big countries and nations and more just like focusing more on like the inner workings of a very interesting region. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That kind, of reminds me, that kind of reminds me of Jason Schreier's takeaway. Mm-hmm. What was that? Yeah. He was basically, this is kind of amusing. He was like, hey, you know, this is just his opinion, but hey, if you liked Trails in the Sky, or if you loved Trails in the Sky like I did, but thought Trails of Cold Steel was a slog like I did, uh, try Trails from Zero. I'm really, really enjoying it. You know? Yeah, and that's good. That's great. And some yeah. people were surprised at, like, wait, Jason's played Trails in the Sky? Like, yeah, yeah he was it, there. <laughs> it's funny because it's like people keep forgetting that he's been playing the series since first chapter came out on PSP. So. Yep. I think that this is the best place to get in. Like, if you are have heard about this series and heard people talking about it, I think that Trails from Zero is currently the best entry point to this series. Especially considering Sky is not available on modern platforms in the West. Yeah, other than than PC. Other than PC. So, like, if you have a Switch and that's what you play on, and you want to play the Trail series, you can start with zero. I mean, obviously, is that the best starting point? Probably not. But I'll, I'll give you a on Switch, probably. Uh, it's I'd wild be, uh, that the it's wild that probably the best place to play the entire Trail series right now is a fucking Steam Deck. <laughs> Go ahead, Chow. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say I was gonna give you a spoiler. I beat Trails of uh, Trails from Zero before I actually even started Trails the Third. Uh, or Sky the Third, reverse order. So I feel like that story arc that was very important from the third wasn't as impactful as going reverse order. But I felt like I got yeah. enough context that I knew what was going on. So yeah, I remember it's- when I first played Trails from Zero. I, I, I so I reviewed Trails in the Sky the Third for another outlet back in the day, and I was so like floored by the ending of that game, and I had already been like studying Japanese for several years at that point that I just was like, you know what? Fuck it. And I just started playing uh, Trails from Zero in uh, Japanese. And yeah, I, I that's played how the I did PSP, my first Japanese PSP release of Trails from Zero. <laughs> that's how I first played it. It's all, it's all like yep. 10 million years later. Oh, I, I played it in Japanese when it first came out in Japan, the third. Uh, how, how it happened was, as soon as the Zero came out, I was like, I, lo- I dropped the game immediately. <laughs> I played this instead. And maybe I shouldn't have done that, but I don't know. I just wasn't feeling it with with the third at the time because there was a lot of backtracking, and this villain doesn't really give you enough. It's like she's constantly like, "Oh, once you get there, she's in the next de- destination, and you have to go to the next destination." And they throw out all the stuff at the last climax. Uh, maybe I didn't really like that structure, but that was for me. Uh, I do going back at it and saying, yeah, I do think the third is a lot better than a lot of the other Trails games, but I just didn't like how the villain just doesn't give you enough, and you always have to keep chasing after that. Yeah, I get it. That makes sense. But yeah, I mean, uh, Trails from Zero, like, you know, like I think even as itself, as its own like game, like a, a separate from Azure, still a pretty incredible game. Like, like, like if you, like you just like, you get done with Trails from Zero, and you're like, okay, I just want to get through this, and like, don't have to worry about like the the, the follow up or the sequel. I think that's totally fine. It's a good, like, nice isolated experience as well. Just a solid JRPG. 
Yeah, that's that's kind of a good way to put it because like Trails from Zero, and I've seen a few people criticize it for this, that it doesn't have I mean, obviously all these games are connected. There's no such thing as a self-contained Trails game. But if there is one that leans that way the most, Trails from Zero is likely kind of one of them. Uh because it doesn't directly connect to like the stuff with the Septarians, uh the, with Ouroboros or things like that. Obviously it does but in a smaller number of ways than other games in the series. So it doesn't really feel like it's so reliant on callbacks and remember this character? Do you remember this thing that happened? Less so than the other games. So that's why I do think it's like a worthy game, even just standalone in its own right. And like Trails, uh, Trails in the Sky the Third, I think is the one game from the series that I reviewed on the site. I think I reviewed some of the Cold Steel games on PC for the site. And third was the one. I've never scored a game on RPG site a 10. The highest I've scored is a nine, and Trails in the Sky the Third was one of those. So that's a really great game, and I think Zero, if I were to review it, is right up there with it. So if you are a fan of the Sky trilogy of games, uh, I think Zero is basically worth... It, sh- it should be up your alley. And obviously, if you're a fan of the Cold Steel Steel games, Zero is some really great you know, fleshing out of characters that you might have been introduced to inadvertently. So hard not to recommend Zero is, I guess, what I'm getting at. It's yeah. like just a really quality game. Which platform did you play this on, Scott? So I played it on PC uh, primarily. I played it through on Steam Deck. Worked ex- okay. absolutely fantastically. It was nice. wonderful. I did dabble a bit in the PlayStation Four version as well, um, which we talked about in a previous podcast. How yeah. we, uh, James put up basically uh, literally just a PSA saying, "Hey, there's a significant difference between the PlayStation version and the other versions of the game." And some people were kind of upset about that in various ways. It was actually yeah, kind of awkward. Yeah, we've got to go through that again. But the, no, I, we're not going to go through that again. But yeah. what, so that you played both the PC version and the PS4 version and can see, like, how, 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 you, how you how would you describe the differences? So. The the story the story is fantastic. Like probably Trails of Zero, I want to say would probably rank around nine. But these these port jobs, it. I can't remember another game where the quality is so much lower on the PS4 than even the Switch version. Like, it's noticeable, like, right from the get-go. You're missing features, you're missing options, the visuals are a... Especially the textures are just a huge step down on the PlayStation version compared to the Switch or PC. Like, it's incredibly noticeable. The The character sprites are jagged. Um, yeah, it's it's rough. Uh, especially going from playing on my Steam Deck, which looks wonderful, and then I also played on my normal larger PC monitors. My um, 4K PC monitors looks great there. I'm playing it on my PS5 on my big TV, and it's just like textures are blurry and characters are jagged. It's just it's it was a big surprise. It was very surprised. It's still worth playing. Like it performs well, but if you have the option. Play it on Steam or play and it on Switch. Twi- and the Switch version is, uh, you know, effectively the same as the PC version in terms of its options. Like, obviously, you can't do 4K rendering or whatever, but um, I know Durante basically wanted to make the Switch version and the PC version kind of feature equivalent. Feature so. parity, yeah. And, and yeah. once again, like, if, if your only option is to buy it on a PlayStation, that's totally fine. You can, mm-hmm. you can still play a fantastic game on it. It's just... More so, if you have the option and you're thinking about like which platform should I get it on, then obviously you know there's just kind of informing you. There's not to like yeah. say like you know buying one version over the other is wrong. It's just this is just yeah, kind of yeah. the reality of the situation. 
Yeah, I can't blame anyone that would want to pick it up on PS4 regardless, because I'm mm-hmm. assuming oh, most Trails fans in the West have probably played Cold Steel 3 and 4 on PS4 because they came out like several months to half a year before the PC version. So if you were trying to play them as they came out, you have most of the series on PS4 at this point. Right. And I don't know. And I also don't know if I was just hyper aware of the difference because I was going from the PC version and looking side by side with the PS4 version. If you start and just like that's all you play, it might not be as noticeable to you. Yeah. And it's it, it's still playable. Like it, it's very much still playable. It's a bummer. I think my the biggest issue is the lack of options that are available on the other platforms. Like visually, yeah, it kind of bites that they're a bit more blur. Like the textures are a bit blurrier. But like if you start there, you might not notice as much. But not being able to have a chat log, like that's completely missing from PlayStation Four. Not having the ability to adjust how fast the the high speed mode is. Like things like that are the bigger. Um, misses for me than does, the does visuals. Does, does the PlayStation version have turbo or no? It has turbo, but you can't adjust this how fast the turbo goes like you can in the PC and Switch version. Because in those, gotcha. you can have in combat be faster than out of combat high speed, which oh, I think is really nice. And you can yeah. adjust how fast or that actually up to like six times speed. Um, but you can adjust those independently. And the PlayStation 4, it's just, is it on? Like, can you have it or not? On, on, off, yeah. And I, yeah. That, that jives with uh, when I played, obviously, the PC versions of Cold Steel's 2 and 3, also mm-hmm. done by Durante's team, having similar toggles. They might not be exactly the same, but I do remember having different settings for out-of-combat and in-combat turbo mode. So, uh, I forgot to ask. It's based on the Kai version from the... From the PS4 version, was it? Correct. And uh, I, I didn't really look into too much of the Kai version, but then in the Kai version, they added some of the Cold Steel NPCs back, like retrofitted into into the yes, game. Yes, yes. So in Cold Steel, they kind of uh, said that uh, Toa was actually at the um, the financial summit in uh, Azure when you obviously you can go through you can explore the entire fucking thing in original Azure you don't see her uh, but they add her into the uh, PS4 Kai version because they said that she's there so now she's there and you also can see uh, Yuna as a as a bit younger in uh, Crossbell and uh, I think it's both Zero and Azure so. okay. and uh, the other question is uh, do they have like the Evo quest or do they completely scrap those off because most people find them, they were kind of like boring fetch quests filler to add nothing to the game. I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I don't know either. Oh. I mean, nobody missed them if they were gone, to be honest. <laughs> well, whenever I hear about the evolution versions of the older games, like it always seems like some people say like, these are newer versions, therefore they're better. Then there's some people say, no, they have crappy music and crappy art. Like, it just seems like opinions on the Evo versions are all over the place. Yeah, I, I, uh, don't, so, I don't like the music of Evo versions, so that, that's why I don't like them. The I, 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 I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it. Evo Inevitable Struggle is actually good. Stop okay, that, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah I'll, I'll give it that. I'll give some of the music. is Okay, right. the final oh. boss theme of Zero and Evo is better. I'll give mm-hmm. that credit. <laughs> I will I say to, in general, I need to uh, uh, listen to that. 
<laughs> I will say in general that uh, obviously Falcom's sound team gets a lot of praise in a lot of different contexts. Uh, I will say that when I played through Trails from Zero and Trails to Azure with the Geofront translation last year or the year before, uh, I kind of felt like, oh, yeah, this is it feels weird to say classic, but like, you know, peak Falcom sound team. I don't think they like hit the same bar with like the more recent East games or like Old Steel 3. But I, when I was playing Trails from Zero, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to try to find some of these songs on Spotify and put them on my playlist because they're real good. I really like the soundtrack from Zero and Azure. I like the sound team they have for staff they have for the Kuro games. They're, they're, yeah, it sounds like they've uh, kind of reclaimed some of their uh, some of that lost luster with those games. I'm looking forward to those uh, whenever we see if those. Only, if only the JDK band could uh, re- regain some of its luster because... Uh, who boy, I'm not sure if anyone here listened to some of those uh, performances, but it's like even some of the songs that I really enjoy from Kuro, the way they performed it on stage was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed the full version of the, the Kuro 2 opening song, but some of the, yeah, some of the performances uh, there were, you know, less than stellar than uh, previous iterations. I want vinyl collections okay. for all these games. <laughs> I think that would that would be great. Well, Trails from Zero officially releases in English in the West on is it the 29th? Let me remind myself. It's at the end of the month. One of the last 27th, days. 27th, I think. I believe it's 27th. Yeah, it's yeah. Tuesday. Yeah. All right, Tuesday, so yeah, so, yeah, on 27th on Switch, PS4 and PC, obviously with the same footnote about the differences between the versions that we discussed previously on the podcast. Uh so uh, we're going to have, you know, some interesting discussions on that as we go towards the end of the year, even though I guess for all the six of us in this call right now, only Adam is on, on deck for playing it. I might poke at it just to see like how it compares to the Geofront, uh, just patching the, uh, the existing PC port and playing the new version. So that'd be kind of fun to have that side by side. It's kind of, yeah, it's, 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 sorry, sorry for twisting the knife, but also this week, Kurunukaseki 2 is out in Japan as well. Let's yes. fucking go. Yeah. Got that uh, pre-ordered. Oh, yeah. man. What year do you think it'll be before we finally get Crimson Sin? I'm thinking 2026. 2025. 2025. I'm saying 26. Jesus. It's going to be... The cynic says 26. Well, if 23 is Azure and Reverie, 24 Kuro and 1, Neuda. 25 Kuro 2. Oh, yeah, Neuda. Neuda. Uh, the thing I think you need to consider is that uh, if they're trying to keep the um, the release cadence going, there's a chance that uh, Kuro um, 1 could be the beginning of 2024 and then Kuro 2 is at the ending. Well, that's sort of what they're doing with Azure and Reverie. So I don't we can only so, hope because that, would, that would be a like, best case scenario. <laughs> Kuro, for, me, for me, it's like game localizations are a very, very hard thing to plan for, and you never know what sort of hurdles and, del- and things will yeah. like delay you in the process. What so might the- what might also not help is that uh, they did announce that Kuro 2 is going to get a patch, kind of like how Hajimari did, which will add some stuff. And I'm not sure if that will add any story like Hajimari did, but they did say that the Merchant Garden will have additional stuff post-launch and it's like you look at what happened in the past and it's like hmm. they did the same shit with kuro one no no but that, <laughs> i mean it, that i mean they did that story but they they but they they, 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 they they quote unquote fixed some scenes in it and added some scenes. yeah not, not necessarily and everyone to- everyone that's listening to this podcast so the thing with kuro one is that they released it a month before it was actually finished and then the the, the day 30 patch came out doubled the frame rate 
um, made it so you could skip arts. They totally redid Van's fucking S-Craft and they added in a bunch of scenes or, or like improved animation and scenes that were already there. It, like legitimately, they just had to get it out before their earnings or something. And then they were like, okay, we finished it. Here's a patch. Oh, wow. I have to. I have to ask one final question, Scott, if you remember. Otherwise, yeah. you'll have to report back on this. Does Randy call anything a bruh moment in this game? I saw nothing that mentioned bro mo- uh, bruh moment. Uh, I saw nothing. I can, I no can, reference to bruh. I, people already did the comparisons. That line was changed. Uh, I'm kind of disappointed just for like... I love oh, that bra moment, but the problem is, it's like that's a reflective of its time. Like, if, if people heard the word bra, they probably know it. The game came out translated in 2022. Bra. <laughs> All right. I'm good either way, but I'm just curious because some people like were more. Uh, some people were more passionate about that specific line than others. I'll put it that way. <laughs> but yeah, obviously, uh, you've. It was great to have you on, Scott, to talk about your impressions with Trails from Zero. Uh, obviously, yeah, you do have to, his. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. It's always good to have different uh, different viewpoints up on this podcast, and we don't get to hear from you often, so it was really kind of cool. And obviously, I do want to point to the written review that is up on the site just now: uh, Legends of Heroes Trails from Zero review from Scott on the site. So go over to RPGSite.net and give that a read if you want to see his more uh, formal thoughts down uh, down on paper, so to speak. So on the docket here, I guess I'll just state this clearly. Uh, Scott, are we going to hang around for uh, for the rest of the podcast, or did you need to, to ship on out? I got to actually duck. So. No, it, understandable, and we're glad that you're able to carve out some time for us uh, to be able to discuss on. Uh, it's always good whenever we have a preview or review going up on the site, uh, getting the, the author able to be able to kind of elucidate on their thoughts in person here. So thank you once again for jumping on. Oh, of course. Well, thank you for having me. This was fun. Always good to talk to you guys, and have a good rest of the cast. Hey, Scott. It's yep. a pleasure. Yep. Thanks Catch again. you in the chat. Bye. All right. Thank you once again to Scott to jump on to talk about Trails from Zero. Uh, before we go into the, again, thankfully lighter newscast uh, portion of this podcast, we have talked previously over the course of September about Square Enix's, mostly Square Enix, a few others, uh, several demos coming out for upcoming games. So we've talked about a few of them on the podcast here, like, for instance, uh, Josh's time with Valkyrie Elysium. It sounds like Josh was able to poke at another demo that we have recently discussed, and this is the, uh, seemingly, or at least very similar to the same, one of the things that James was able to discuss last week on the podcast, and that was hands-on time with the upcoming Star Ocean, The Divine Force. Obviously, this is slated for an October release, but a uh, demo has been made available for the game, not on PC, but on console. And Josh was able to uh, also go hands-on with the demo. And always good just to kind of get different impressions for uh, upcoming games from people who are able to go hands-on, whether it's a public avenue or not. So, Josh, you wanted to carve out some time here to discuss your impressions of the Star Ocean demo. So, uh, we'll just kind of hand it off over to you. Uh, I don't know if you have uh, high expectations for this game or if this is something that you're really excited about but what are your thoughts on the star ocean 6 demo yeah star ocean the divine force as they call it here and uh, they dropped the six unlike in japan right um yeah it's a uh, it's limited to just uh, the the beginning of raymond's uh story the save data does not transfer over they make that clear at the end of the demo um so it just takes you like to the first few hours of that of like how uh, raymond's ship gets blown up and then they crash land into this uh uh this planet and then he's uh shortly you know joined by the other main character Leticia and her attend her attended uh Al Bayard 
whatever whatever his name is. So, um, the from the get go, this is an interesting uh, was an interesting game that you know caught my attention because I really like you know Star Wars and series in general and that's action uh, RPG combat, and I like like you know just how things how quickly you move throughout this game. I think the first few like half hour or so without the 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 duma they call it duma in the game so i assume it's okay um uh this robot um but the, the, without it like combat feels a lot uh, very limited because it gets you through like the the first like you know getting getting you used to like hey here's how the combat works everything works off of this ap system you attack for a certain amount of times until your ap bar uh, uh you know has to refill and then it's like, okay, I, I I get like you know what it's going for, and you can switch to the, to any other character in, in the middle of combat on the fly. You, you, they don't they don't you, you switch to uh to their current position. You, they don't like fill in the current position of the current playable character. So it's just something to keep in mind. Um, once you get the this uh, Duma robot, um, things really really change, and like in a in a good way for me, it really opened up the game uh in a positive way like i i really like flying around with that robot because the how the robot works is basically basically like it it allows you to like dash through the air at a at a specific spot so there there's a lot of things they can uh do in the environment to like uh encourage verticality throughout the environment and then you're rewarded with like these uh this crystal currency called duma points that you can uh used to upgrade like the uh, capabilities of the uh, of this robot whether it's like um expanding its gauge giving you like uh, buffs in battle um uh better rewards extending the scan and so forth um and then you know there's also treasure chests throughout um the the world as well so you can have to like, kind of like fly high and low to find them but just like it, it feels nice to actually just do that like it, it feels open and like in a, in a good way um and also, like uh, the what the Duma robot allows you to do is start like earning more AP in battle more than you usually would. Um, so when uh, they discussed this like in several gameplay videos, but and also James uh, touched upon this too in his time of the game. But like uh, throughout battle, um, you can use like the the Duma robot to kind of do like a a, a dash dodge maneuver to get get out of their light of sight and once you get out of their light of sight they'll be like in, in like a blind side uh state where they'll take additional damage and you'll see it indicated on them through like an exclamation mark and a question mark uh, above their head and as you're if i remember correctly blind sighting was in star ocean 4 obviously not exactly the same but it wasn't in 5 i think that's <laughs> right yeah so uh, yeah, so a similar mechanic in terms of like shifting around an enemy and doing more damage from behind. Mm-hmm. And, and then like as you're hitting a blindsided enemy, you'll start getting, uh, you'll start getting more AP, like more AP to like use in battle. Um, so like you, you can like have more extended combos, more like uh, or like make combos that use up a lot more AP, uh, and so forth. Like th- this AP is temporary in the sense that like if an enemy hits you, you'll start losing that AP, but that AP will carry over from battle to battle if you're not like getting hit. So let's say I get like uh, I have a max AP of 15 that I was able to uh, build up to in this battle. In the next battle, I'll always have that 15 AP. So it's kind of it's it's a nice like reward for like being able to like do these blind sides correctly, and it expands your movement and mobility and options in battle. So soon enough, I was like doing like my combos but in the air while the enemy's like in a juggle state so that felt really good uh to do 
and also just uh just tweaking like the the limit amount of like the chain combos that like you can link to in the battle it reminds me a lot of like berseria but not as restrictive as berseria because if you remember in berseria like you're always heavily punished for every time you took a hit in battle because like your the amount of actions you can do in battle was like severely reduced for every time you took any amount of damage in berseria while in this game it's like you do you do get a bit of that but you can easily earn it again very fast uh in this game which is something i really like about it i, I like i i hate when a game and an rpg punishes me of like getting if i take a hit in battle that means i have less options to play the game you know what i mean like it's just like oh okay is, I, 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 that that kind of design is always kind of weird to me um i don't i don't wholly dislike it but it's the sort of thing where it's like if you are struggling at the game the game gets harder so you're going to struggle more yeah, and like it's almost <laughs> like you're rolling downhill, and you get to do less fun things because you know it, it, as a punishment in the in the process too. Just like, and it's like if you if you play the game game, well, it gets easier. If you play the yeah. game poorly, it gets but harder. You, you, you want kind some of, degree like, of that though, right? Because you don't want it to get like just spammy, where it just feels like what you do doesn't matter and how efficiently you play doesn't matter. So does the Staros and the Divine Force find a good balance? Where I think it does in the early goings. I think I think there there's like a if there's enough like if I. If I if I get hit and I, I go back to the like five to six AP, at the very least, I can always do a blindside to an enemy and get that AP back pretty fast. Um there are special like big enemies that like you cannot like normally blindside like at any time. What you like the, the game informs you uh, for these enemies, they'll have like a specific attack pattern where they'll have a narrow uh, a narrow uh, field of view, and that's the time where you wanna do that blindside maneuver on them as they're doing their attacks. So they're not like you're not completely left out of options if you like you played out that important encounter poorly. You just have to like wait for your openings, to, like regain that AP uh, from them, which is I think that's a that's a fair compromise then uh, in that sense. And, and, and there's never at a point where like I felt like I was spamming uh, things. It just like it just felt good to like kind of like play out my combos and like it, it it doesn't you can't like infinitely juggle things like. Um, uh, like in this game like they, you they, they will have a time to like you know regain their footing and like react and attack back at you as well um for, at least from the early goings um I, I think the, the the biggest concern with this game at least on console is like the performance the frame rate is, even on prioritized frame rate on ps5 this game is a very all over the place with its frame rate. Like, like you can go from like a steady, so, uh, steady sixty. I, I'm gonna get to that. I know you're gonna do. I know what you're gonna say. So it goes from like steady sixty, and it'll like just drop down to thirty, like in like open fields, like out of nowhere. And I know this was addressed. Um, John Linneman from Digital Foundry, you know, did some testing with the with the demo, and he's like, he's like, let me explain. And I'll just like uh, read his uh, tweet here. He says, simply put, put when using a non-variable refresh rate display. The game will use a double buffer vsync solution. Effectively, this would means even if the game were to hit 58 FPS, it will crash down to 30. And he continues, in the more complex areas, the game basically bounces between 30 and 60 FPS just by turning the camera, and I, I did feel this, as it's right at the edge of uh, uh, 60.7 MS uh, frame times. And this is why it feels so jarring to play. Uh, Using triple buffering instead was would solve this. So that's kind of they went for a double buffer vsync solution, which does not feel good uh, playing this game on consoles. And I'm hoping that like PCs can just like brute force the solution, and it'll be a steady frame rate there. So it, that, it that almost feel like, like just just wish it would just capped at thirty in that case. 
I, you can do that with prioritized uh, image quality. I think it does oh, have okay. at 30 there. I think it's smoother there, but I I I wouldn't want to play that game at 30 with the way it like the action RPG battles uh, play out. I, I it's a uh, it's interesting so far though. I'm very interested to see where the story goes. I do I do like uh, Raymond so far. I do like uh, his character, and it it feels fun to play, which is you know the most I can hope out of a a Star Ocean game, which is some, sometimes a, a big ass sometimes for some of these games. I don't know, James, if you've had any like uh, similar experience with your time. I know your time was more limited and you know, on a on a like behind closed doors sort of thing before the demo was publicly released. But I don't know if that just kind of fits with what your experience was. Yeah, it just kind of fits with my experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember I was showing this trailer to someone that doesn't play a lot of games and they were also kind of noticed like well, this game seems kind of like old school in terms of just like how it looks. I think they were just mostly looking at like the lip flaps with the English dub. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so I don't know if that was just something that was drawing for you or if it fits better in Japanese. It, it, does the, it, does the it, demo I, allow for I, it does allow for both. I only played it with English. Uh, at the voice. Oh. I, I like the I, I like the English voices, but like I, I do agree that like the the lip flaps, the the the, the sync, oh, the lip sync on it is a bit kind of dodgy. And I'm going times. back. Uh, the Dio field um, also doesn't really. This, this is one of those things where it's like I don't really mind it. It doesn't yeah. really even try to match lips at times. Right. <laughs> but like, I think the voice acting itself in Dio field comes across very naturally, and it's pretty darn well done. If they tried to match lip flaps, which weren't made for the English voices, I think it would have been worse because they would the, the phrasing and the pacing of the sentences would have been way off. So it's kind of like the trade-off is in deal field anyway. Like voice acting's pretty good, you know, sounds pretty natural. It just doesn't match the lips, so you just kind of have to accept it or not. Yeah, I mean, I'm totally fine with like, uh, like you know, as long as it's not like as long as it's not like a second after like the the lip yeah. flaps like sort of like come yeah. power something then yeah. you know, I think we're, we're, we're fine so yeah th- i i hope you know the it, the console performance is much better for that uh game and i hope that like the pc version just doesn't run into that in general That's the way you ex- the way you explain that uh josh i just couldn't help but like picture raymond star ocean like just lip slapping for like five seconds and then all he says is i don't know <laughs> i can Godzilla. see it. <laughs> but yeah, the PC release on this is just going to be a, a giant question mark, as far as I can tell. Uh, Star Ocean Four eventually came to PC. Is that true? Yes, yes kind of yeah. oddly. I don't. I don't remember <laughs> they, they, any they of the impressions on that. I, they they released Star Ocean Three on PS4, but never on PC. And that's actually the I earlier this year, at the very beginning of this year, I talked about I played Star Ocean Five. The reason why I held off so long was like. Four came to PC. Oh yeah, Star Ocean Five uh, never made it to PC. Also, that's right. Yeah. It was so weird. They, I, I remember. I remember even back at the time around it, re- around its release, they were saying like, you know, we can maybe go to PC, and then they never did. It, to be honest, the game <laughs> probably just didn't have good enough reception for them to be like, let's do it. They're like, I'm probably not worth it. Okay, they'll, they'll, they'll do it with the Divine Force cell wow, game busters. Star Ocean so. Four is currently at the time of recording. I have no idea how long this goes. Oh, until September 28th, you can buy Star Ocean Four on PC for 60 percent off. How much is that? Uh, eight eight dollar eight US dollars. Is that worth it, Adam? I don't know. That's borderline. <laughs> I, I might I think do it. Four is. I've said this probably fifteen times. I think it's an okay game as long as you skip every cutscene. So don't play it for the story then. No, and literally 
the summary of the story that you get when you do skip cutscenes is almost like a betterly bit more a better presentation of the story than what you actually watch if you watch it. So, <laughs> but I, so, I appreciate yeah. you know I want to, like you know good or bad I appreciate you know Star, uh, Square Enix like you know releasing these demos. You know I always I I love 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 demos so. Keep and going. yeah, I'm I'm actually watching the Steam little like gameplay trailer for Star Ocean Four, and I see Blindside. So yes, it was in there. So yeah, and now I'm not now I'm getting PTSD for like all oh, all these terrible characters. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't like Miracle, no. or Sarah, or any or of anyone, <laughs> or Libble. Raimi is fine, very boring, but fine. Hopefully, uh, our cast of characters and Divine Force. Ends up being so far, they say, so far they seem all right. Leticia is funny. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I guess, oh, I guess it's on sale because of the Square Enix TGS Steam sale goes through the twenty okay. eighth. So for a few more days. All right. Uh, also, we talked about the uh, reviews that we had up on the site recently, but uh, James, we spent a lot of time last week during our marathon podcast talking about James's time with a lot of Square Enix titles that he was able to go hands on with. But he also had the chance to go over, uh, go on, go hands on with a couple other titles uh, behind closed doors. And I don't know if these were at the same event or if these were at a different event. But I know that James put up previews for Miasma Chronicles and Stray Blade. Now these games are not as high profile as some of the Square Enix releases, so I need a little bit more background this is context on these. Games. These are yeah, these five, yeah, these are five oh five game stuff. So yeah. these are both at five oh five. Yeah. All right, so we'll just start with this one. Uh, you put up a preview in the last week for Miasma Chronicle as a tactical RPG. Uh, I'll just be honest, I am not familiar with this game. So what is Miasma Chronicle? And just obviously, then we'll go back into your, just your impressions of your time with the game with your preview uh, opportunity. So it's a game from the developers of Mutant Year Zero, which I've never played, but apparently it was really well received. Uh, the developers uh, are called the Bearded Ladies. Um, apparently, there was also a follow-up to that that was Epic Games exclusive that nobody talks about because it was EGS. Uh, but this is the most recent game that they're developing. It's... I feel like a lot of people are going to look at this and say, oh, it's like very XCOM-like. But it, I think the better comparison, besides the art style and all that, is probably Mario plus Rapids. <laughs> because, yeah, you have like the XCOM-style like strategy RPG battles, but there's like an open world. Well, not really open world, but there's like there's a world that's segmented off that you walk through and explore, and then like you find the battles on the world itself. And like one of the things that uh, I found interesting that my Asthma Chronicles does is that you can actually like sneak around, like you can see where an encounter is going to be and you're not like railroaded to it. Well, you are a bit, but you have the opportunity to kind of like pre-position yourself before you engage. Yeah, uh, just this is this is sort of surface level, but when I saw some of the gameplay, it looked kind of like Wasteland 3, which also has XCOM-ish tactical gameplay. Um, I, I haven't played it, so I don't know if it's how similar it is, but it, it looks like that where you were saying you can kind of see where the encounter is going to be. You can kind of pre-position your units and then in wasteland, you can like kind of, you know, prepare and then, then like activate the encounter. So at, at least at a surface level, that's what it reminded me of. So that actually has me a little bit interested in it because I like wasteland three. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there's not much I can say about the story. It's like, I played less than an hour and, uh, 
the main story conceit is that you play as uh, this uh, young adult uh, Elvis who... Um, so the world itself is like kind of post-apocalyptic uh, Kentucky of all places, where this sort of thing called the miasma has um, like warped the world. And it, I don't know what the miasma is or does. It just seems like it corrupts things. And uh, the main enemies that I faced in like the uh, opening hour or so was just mutated frogs, like which is weird but uh yeah you like you fight like giant frogs that uh shoot bows at you and want to eat you uh it's I'm again glad. i'm not gonna say anything about the story because that's like so so early on um the main thing about the gameplay that's interesting i feel like besides the fact you can like set up uh where you want to be positioned before you start a fight is that um the skill trees for both elvis and his uh mechanical brother Diggs. Is pretty interesting because it, like you know how like XCOM has like half cover and full cover and how yeah. that can impact things. Uh like one of the skill tree things for Biggs because well Biggs because he's a robot is you can actually make it so that if another party member is standing next to him, Diggs acts as full cover for that party member. That's funny. that's kind of fun. And you talked and about how it's like post-apocalyptic a, uh, Kentucky. Yeah. That actually kind of reminds me of Wasteland 3, which is post-apocalyptic Colorado, which is just kind of yeah. fun just to have uh, a more like mid-America feel rather than like New York or something yeah. like that. It's also interesting in the sense that this seems to be a true, like, I wanted to say next-gen, but I guess it's current-gen. Uh, current-gen exclusive. It's only coming to PS5, Xbox Series, and PC. Uh, it looks very good uh, so on the... Uh, the uh, PC I played it on at the uh, preview event, and it's still an early build. So, like, if it's looking and running fine now, I can only imagine it'll be even better once it comes out. Uh, it it's coming out next year, um, so like twenty twenty three. I don't know if it's going to be early or late. It definitely feels like it's closer to being finished than the other game I played at five oh five games. So we'll get to that. Um, I'm interested to see more. I, I I'll admit that I don't play as many like Western RPGs as I probably should. So like getting a chance to sit down and play something that's kind of out of my wheelhouse, even if I I've played like XCOM type games in the past was uh, interesting. And uh, gameplay wise, like uh, at the very end, one of the things you can get access to is like these miasma skills. Cause like Elvis has this like love and as you progress through the game, you get these additional skills that are on a skill tree, but are very specifically based off of his glove. And oh, I thought you said love. 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 Yeah. Love. Glove. <laughs> and, love. And, and it's based off of like energy, which you get from defeating enemies. And you can expend that to do these different abilities. And like the first one you get is you can kind of like send an enemy flying to a specific tile and there's like the way they kind of contextualize it in the tutorial is is that sometimes areas will have like explosive barrels and what you can do is you can literally just kind of pick up an enemy and throw it right at an explosive barrel to kill them and you can even throw it at another enemy and stuff like that it's it's um it's interesting and it says that there's going to be more and that's in addition to all the other skills that you can get access to like for um elvis and uh digs and whatnot so it's i'm interested to see how the full game feels like it like it started off basic enough but looking at the skill tree and looking at what you can do with like setting up encounters and trying to find the 
best like position to start from as well as like all the different like uh, miasma skills it's like I- i'm interested i feel like this is going to be a pretty good game and that's fun yeah so you already kind of preempted yourself here but you were also able to go on with stray blade as well with this 505 uh, event that you're able to attend so stray blade you kind of said that seems like it's a little bit further off but uh just go ahead and we'll just move straight on to your impressions with the other game that you're able to go hands-on with uh, so at I, this event. I kind of um, what's the best way of putting this? I kind of held back a bit when I was talking about the preview for Stray Blade because, again, it's a game early in development. It's an indie studio. It seems this is their first project, but I'm going to be real with you. I there's like some interesting aspects of it. But what I played, I very much, especially considering this and uh uh, my asthma chronicles are both targeting 2023. I am worried at uh, how close, like how far along um, Stray Blade actually is in its development. I don't know how old the the build is. I don't know like how much more they're working on. But it's funny, like over the last like week, you've seen so many game develop uh, developers like post all these in development screenshots from games on Twitter to just kind of like showcase. Yeah. Cause kind of like in solidarity, I think with the GTA six week to showcase that. Yeah. A lot of games look radically different, even like a year and a half away from launch. It's definitely mm-hmm. a response to like a lot of people just don't know how games are made. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparent. Yeah. So, so it's like a lot of what I played with stray blade. It's like, it's rough now, but it's also like, that's one of the things with previews. I feel like a lot of the time when you play, we play a preview for a game it's generally closer to release than this. So it's more like polished or it's really, really close to being finished. Whereas this one, you can definitely tell, yeah, no, it's very much in development. It's very much pre-alpha. It's like even like um, my Asthma Chronicles, they said was pre-alpha gameplay, but it's like it, it, you can tell the difference between a development studio with several other games under its belt versus a, an indie studio, which this appears to be the first project and you, you can tell maybe it might be coming in a bit hot. Um, uh, so let's so let me just say the good things about this. Uh, it's a kind of action RPG kind of souls like thing where every time you die, you just respawn and whatnot. But one of the gimmicks of it is, is that the enemies that spawn across the world are semi randomized where like the way they uh, kind of sell it is that time marches forward as you're playing the game. So like maybe there will be a bunch of like animals like that you fight in one area and then you die a few times or you come back later and suddenly there's like an enemy encampment of like actual like people. And uh, that can happen all throughout the game in different sections. And that's like the main gimmick along with being able to have a bunch of different weapons that you can craft uh, the combat itself, I didn't like. I'll, I'll just be blunt about that. I, I feel like there's not a decent enough tell for when an enemy attack is coming out. Because, like, especially there was this, like, this one enemy that would do this, like, spinning motion, like, kind of, like, charging up an attack, spinning around. And the actual swing, there's, like, no real tell when it's going to happen because he's just spinning, spinning until it's, like, okay, now now here's the attack. And there's, like, no tell whatsoever that it's, like, coming out of the swing because it swings, like, several times before it actually comes out and whatnot. Um, performance was concerning because I – let me just check really quick. I think this is supposed to come out on Switch. 
We don't have it listed for Switch on our site, but that's, you know, there's a chance that we missed that, but let me check. Uh, I, I, don't I might see, be wrong. It looks like it's just uh, PlayStation 4. It looks like this is also just current gen and PC, similar to um, My Ethno Chronicles. Okay. Um, it does. Well, no, it's going to be last gen too, because I'm looking at the Xbox page and it says it's playable on Xbox One, which is a uh, bit okay. more concerning considering like my Asthma Chronicles ran way better on the same setup and that was a current gen only game. So it's like, we'll have to see how it like holds up. But it's like, again, it, there, there's some interesting aspects of it. Um, I do think that if they like can hone in on the, um, responsiveness of the combat maybe add a bit more tells for the uh, attacks on like enemies there might be something there it's just one of those things where especially when you're playing a preview of a game so early on it feels bad when you when you don't like it as much yeah previews are hard because like you said you want to give the developer you know benefit of the doubt it's a work in progress it's not the final product but you also don't want to just be like an ad and just be like this game is great based on a 30 minutes or an hour that I had with it. So trying to trying to have an honest opinion, but caveat it that it's not a final product. Previews are difficult. You got to kind of thread that needle on trying to make yeah. sure that you're honest, but also uh, charitable. Yep. But uh, yeah, uh, so uh, very excited for Miasma Chronicles. Uh, I hope that uh, Stray Blade uh, does uh, manage to uh, get polished up before that one comes out. So we obviously have James's two previews up on the site from his 505 games uh, behind the scenes, which is for Stray Blade and for Miasma Chronicles. Before we go into the news, we do also have one other preview up on the site. Another demo that we've talked about a few times in the last couple of podcasts is for the upcoming release of Harvestella. It's coming out on PC and Switch. The demo is currently available on Switch. Uh, we weren't able to get her on the podcast, but uh, Paige Chamberlain wrote up her impressions of the Harvestella demo. And she's a fan of, I believe, the Rune Factory series and the Story of Seasons games. So coming into Harvestella with that background. So if that is a game you're interested in and you haven't gone on with the demo yourself, uh, Paige put up a preview for that up on the site as well. So we have the review for Trails from Zero. We have the previews for Miasma Chronicles and Stray Blade. And then we have the... Uh, the Harvestella demo impressions also up on the site at rpgsite.net. The other major feature, well, kind of major feature that we have up on the site, uh, we spent a decent amount of time on last week's podcast in the deluge of TGS news and other news uh, for the recently or not recently announced Theater Rhythm Final Bar Line, which is the uh, the most recent entry in that series with tons of. Square Enix properties represented. I think we talked about how its base game has like 400 songs. It's got digital deluxe edition, exclusive songs, upcoming season pass, DLC songs, and things like that. Well, uh, Alex Donaldson, uh, site site boss, put together basically a comprehensive list of all of the songs in the game. So we kind of talked about a few of them uh, in the podcast last week. But if you just wanted a list to reference for what songs are in the game and what songs are not, uh, we have that up on the site. Uh, I don't one know. If... Small correction from last week. I don't think we knew this when we were talking about last week, but uh, I'm not seeing this in uh, Alex's uh, article. But there will be a separate upgrade to get the digital deluxe stuff if you have a physical copy. 
or if you even buy the standard like digital version. A developer on the game actually tweeted about this in Japanese about a, like a couple of days ago, and um, it's going to be like around like three thousand yen to get the upgrade. So it's like the one like major issue I had was, oh, it sounds like you won't be able to get some of these really really like major songs for the series like history unless you get the digital deluxe that's no you can get the digital deluxe upgrade either down the line if you opt for standard edition or if you get a physical copy so like the one major issue i still had with the game has basically been solved well to be fair like just the the news itself, the press release and everything accompanying the announcement did not make it clear. So that's I guess that's that's the difficult part about having songs behind. You know, they obviously want to make their deluxe editions and their pre-orders and their DLC, you know, uh, marketable. So that's where they're going to try to s- stick all that stuff, but didn't quite have it all aligned in a very clear way when they were uh, announcing the game. So, but good to know that there isn't anything locked behind a digital version that you can't get if you wanted to have a physical copy. I saw some people saying that they wish there were more games from like Xenogears or more, sorry, more songs from Xenogears, more songs from Stranger Paradise of all things. I saw some people saying that Saga didn't have enough representation. Can't please everyone, but it sounds like it has a pretty darn thorough track list spanning several Square Enix properties. That's something that they can make for more season passes for the rest of time. Yeah, probably. (laughs) If this song's really well, then you know, in enough time, all your favorite songs will be added. But yeah, I mean, I, I really like the, the the song list I was screaming through. I, I like that they at least add a few songs from Neo, The World Ends With You that they added. That's really cool. Of course, Live Alive uh, has been uh, on a major resurgence for this year, the remake. So having some of the, some of the best songs from the, that game get some representation there is really cool. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's a damn good solid list. I mean, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to complain with so much uh, music on there. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. Now I know what I should uh, get. Sorry, just I was thinking like because recently the yen so week I was thinking what what should I what should I take advantage of with this and it's like oh theatrism it's it's a rhythm yeah. game I it can just like buy it right that way yeah I even have a lot of like uh, good mana songs in here too. All right, we'll go into the news section of this podcast. It should be fairly abbreviated compared to uh, last week. Uh, we have a few couple things that just came out near the very end of Tokyo Game Show that we didn't quite cover uh, last week in our marathon podcast. Uh, we did get we talked about the new trailer for like the resurgence almost. They called it an announcement trailer, but a second look at Infinity Strash Dragon Quest the Adventure of Dai. Uh, so we got that initial trailer back in like 2020 and then we got the the uh, new trailer up at TGS. But additionally, we got some more details uh, for how the game plays and the growth system and some of the game pl- uh, gameplay modes in that game late in TGS uh, after we recorded the podcast last week. Uh, we don't have this up on our site yet, but we do have it. It's obviously up on uh, the publisher site and covered by sites such as Skamatsu. So a lot more screenshots of gameplay of the artwork and um, things like that. I don't know if you saw anything specific here that you wanted to call out, Josh, that you saw in I mean, this uh, yeah. detailed coverage. Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was watching the event as it was happening in Japan, so I was making note of like uh, what what they were talking about. So the the, ba- the game basically has like two ge- two modes: a story mode and like an original Temple of Memories uh, dungeon mode, which I kind of like is a randomly generated dungeon, uh, which is fun for replayability on that end. Uh, and then they also mentioned that like, hey, you know, like characters that you meet here might like uh, have some some attack patterns that like you know that, that were weren't like shown in the the 
the main story of that game. So there might be some new interesting stuff for fans of that series. Um, the the story mode, I wasn't sure how they were gonna lay out the story. Like it, it like I I know it's not confirmed yet, but it looks to be like the Trials of Mana remake team, definitely because of how it looks and how it plays. But um, that's not confirmed. But I was like, I wonder how they're gonna do the story mode because it'd be very tricky to like lay this out like in an open world ish fashion or open yeah like like how trials of mana is and like the the game just does your standard like a like uh there to be like uh stage nodes for chapters in in the game so like uh in chapter one you go to like certain like uh like stage one one stage one two etc on that so that's how uh stages are laid out in that game um and then like they they were showing off like a like chapter three of the the the, uh, uh, mom pop and die uh, first, like fight Kyunkle in the in the story, uh, so it's very very early on, um, and it and the, and it's funny because the playtesters were like struggling against this boss and like uh, like pretty much died to him. Uh, that that was fun. They got they got to show like uh, show off like the the character uh, uh, and party uh, customization screen on that. And one one of the major components in this game is like you they have like these like accessory cards like like they call it like bond memories. Uh, in the game, um, where they, it's kind of cool, where they have like actual original artwork from the original manga on these on these cards, kind of like you know, God, God paying a homage and like the 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 real source material of like this uh, story decades and decades ago. Um, so that's cool that like it has a representation through that, and just you know just showing off more of like how the game plays, being able to switch uh, characters on the fly, and then like some. Uh, scenes from the new anime adaptations will be like um, be shown off, like uh, in the story as well. The manga's um, from the uh, '80s, right? Yeah, like late '80s, early '90s. I think it's like '89. Uh, I believe. Hey, that's when I was born. Decades and decades there ago. <laughs> there you go. Decades and decades ago. Like uh, only for mummies, you know, like us. Um, yeah, and then, unfortunately, no release date. But you know, they say they're still working on it, still in development, and you know, all should have is, take as much time as you need. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, and the main the main headline from last week, if in case you didn't listen or don't remember, is that it is targeting a global simultaneous release. We don't know when that is, uh, yeah. but that was basically the the key takeaway from last week's and uh, from the from the new trailer. Yeah, I, I've been I've been catching up. I've been watching a lot of Dragon Quest Die uh, mm. over the past few days. I've been watching a lot of episodes to get to be there in time for its finale. I'm like at episode eighty five, eighty six right now. I think somewhere around there. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Really like that show. And then I think the last thing here led us out of TGS. We saw that this uh, was listed on Square Enix's like schedule in their itinerary for the week. Uh, it's a game that we haven't talked about recently, even though it is only a few months away. And that's Tactics Ogre Reborn. Obviously, uh, had like the, the several leaks of different scales throughout the summer and then was finally uh had the curtain revealed on it uh, about a month ago uh we already kind of knew most of the details about how it looked and how it played and the, some of the additions for that game but they were able to uh drill into those a little bit during one of the later tgs showings for the game uh again this is another thing that you watched as it was live uh about the the new high speed mode about some of the different uh updates that they've made for like the quality of life such as being able to craft multiple items at once uh yeah those are two big ones really the high speed mode like side by side like yeah like you know for uh later battles that game you definitely want a high speed mode because some of them can take a while and uh love one of the main complaints and adam has voiced it time and time again even before this was officially uh announced here was like crafting in that game originally was uh a slog 
So mm-hmm. now they actually did show of hey, you can craft multiple things at once. Uh, so you don't have to go through it one by one by one by one by one. It's like, oh, it's just bad. It was bad. So, you know, I just uh, just noticed uh, showing off like a, a few new things as well. Like, you know, for, for battles, there's like additional optional bonus objectives um, in the game. Like for one of them, they show us like, hey, deploy an archer on the field, you know, and like getting getting that done will like, uh, like reward you with some item or accessory uh as well like you know just giving you additional incentives to like you know uh, go about battles in like uh, a different way than you may you might be like not comfortable with but like to, something to experiment around in battles and like, try to hit those optional objectives and with that we'll go into some of the just the other little bit pieces of news in order to close out this podcast uh a couple of these are just mean, some... before mm-hmm. before we do that i just have to mention the child because child is here they got uh, Cannabis uh, voiced by Yuichi Nakamura in the Japanese Tactics Ogre, which is oh. really good. <laughs> it's so good. It, he does like they, yeah. They shot off some clips with the uh, Cannabis uh, in Japanese, and like it's it's it fits him so well. It's so funny. Uh, do you remember his original voice? Um, what was his original voice? Uh, I'm trying to remember. It's Jared from Zeta Gundam. What's yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember his name right now. What was it? I, for, I forgot. Yeah, I forgot. We're, we're gonna get. Yeah. We're gonna get, we're gonna get shit for this because I can't oh, remember it no. on the spot. So it's over. Yeah. My God. Did the original that. release have a uh, English voice acting? I didn't think. No, it did. no, no. The Saturn version did. They had voices, oh, but see. they only had like the uh, was it only the key moments are voiced. So majority of the game was not voice. Gotcha. So, like key story moments, um, kind of like when the was it like the part where you change your route? That part is usually voiced, and then kind of like the intro and yeah, and some of the uh, ending scenes. Uh, Katsuhiko Inoue was Jared from Zeta Gundam. Yeah, yeah, I love that guy. The they also filled off like the 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 collector's edition the things for Tactics Ogre. They were showing off like the. Like similar to what they did the the Nier Replicant uh, Collector's Edition, they had like a the like uh, bound manuscripts of the game, and so uh, they were showing that off on stream. Like, holy shit, these are big. Our tactics yeah. over. It won't be in English. That's a problem. Probably. I know. I, I don't know if it's English or not. I know they did an English release for Nier Replicant. I don't know if they're doing one for tactics over on that. And that would be nice, though. That is it would be nice uh, to have. Yeah, one of my friends had to like. Oh, um. Fuck! What was it? They they had um, they had a replica of like the what was it called? It was like the the crystal apple or the apple gem in Tactics Ogre. Like they had that on stream as well. They had like a glass replica of that. I'm like holy shit! Really, after a while, it's this time, I guess. Uh Tactics Ogre players are the only ones who know will know this. <laughs> we'll get it. With that, we'll go into our uh, release dates and some sales updates in order to close this out. Uh, the first one here is a new October release date for an upcoming game. This is a game we've talked about very briefly on a previous episode of the podcast, and that is The Valiant. This is like a strategy RPG RTS hybrid set during like the 13th century Fifth Crusade. Uh, it's from Kite Games, which d- has a very small portfolio. Uh, if we went to their website, there's a couple like other mobile games that I haven't heard of, like Sudden Strike 4 and The Swine. Uh this game looks sort of interesting to me. I played, it feels like so long ago, but I played Expeditions Rome uh, early, early in the year. It seems like it has sort of a similar vibe to that. Uh, it's coming out on October 19th 
on Steam and Xbox and PlayStation consoles. Oh, uh, uh, on, on PC uh, only. The the It was originally announced for those consoles, but after that initial announcement, they never mentioned those uh, releases again. So as of the moment, moment uh, oh, that's October interesting. 19th release uh, is only for PC. We don't know what's happening to those other console versions, and there's going to be at a later release date, but they have not ever mentioned them again after its uh, initial announcement. Like Genshin Impact on Switch. <laughs> But yeah, this this is the sort of game where like I kind of like the vibe and I kind of like the setting, but I kind of just want to because it is like a developer that I don't have a history with kite games. I'll have to see like what the Steam impressions are because you know those guys will be honest uh, on the Steam reviews and things like that. Yeah. And if they're if they if it has good word of mouth, I could see myself poking at this because uh, I kind of have my an itching for like kind of that historical uh, fiction setting and kind of the more strategy elements. Uh, so I got an eye on this uh, just casually uh, coming out in the middle of the month on on the nineteenth. But well, I'll see what impressions are before I dive in. And again, that is uh, the title again is The Valiant. And then here's one that is a delay announcement: the Valkyrie, uh, Val, sorry, Valkyrie Profile Lenith, releasing on PlayStation Four and PlayStation Five, has been delayed to December. It will now release on December twenty second. Previously, it was going to release kind of in conjunction with Valkyrie Elysium in late September. However, it is being pushed back. Uh, I forget if they explained the uh, delay in detail. Like, not, just not they just really. say, they mean, just say to to improve the quality of the title. So kind of just yeah, a generic boilerplate. <laughs> it's a really weird uh, way to put it because it's like it's you're porting the PlayStation portable version of this game. What's what's going on? It's such it's like a it's like it's not really a big delay, but at the same time, it's like significant enough that it kind of makes you wonder as well like what's happening to this game um they did say if they uh, pre-ordered the, the the digital deluxe edition of valkyrie elysium in which this game like people who got that version of, of valkyrie elysium would get this game also they said it, you'll still get your copy of valkyrie profile Lenith, but now just on december 22nd so nothing has changed there um if this was coming to PC, I would totally get it. I'm sad that it's not. It's currently only slated for PlayStation 4 and 5, even though Valkyrie Elysium's coming to, you know, PC. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll we'll see what the if this if they're after adding anything or enhancing it in any way because of this delay or just like, I don't know, something weird happened behind the scenes, which is well, probably the most likely. Uh Yeah, that is a pretty significant delay for a game that already exists from September to December. So, that is kind yeah. of strange. At least they're being upfront about it, and obviously still order, uh, still honoring the fact that people who getting the deluxe edition of uh, of Elysium obviously still. It, it, it makes me wonder how what, like how it's so weird to like announce this like a week before the day the the game comes out. I mean, I guess that's sufficient notice, but to say that's like, I don't know. A lot of people are getting excited for this <laughs> for that September 29th release date, at least for Lenith, and now it's just like. Uh, only one sales update this week, and it's for the series that we were talking about earlier, The Legend of Heroes, the Trail series, or Kaseki in Japan. Uh, according to the de- developer Falcom, it, the series in totality has surpassed 7 million total sales. Now, I'll be honest, I kind of don't know how to like calibrate whether that's surprising or not, or good or bad, because that is a lot of titles, and 7 million is a very big number, but I don't know... like. With sales updates, it's always it's always hard to gauge like what were the developer expectations versus like their you know the the yeah, success of the series. If it'll help, help, if it'll help, apparently they passed five million in twenty twenty, so that's two million in two years. Which for a company Falcom size, that's actually really good. 
That's yeah, a good that's point. Good. Yeah, that's good. But it sounds like yeah, I, I agree with you. That sometimes it's it's sometimes it's easier clear cut and dry. It's like oh, the Elden Ring sold like twenty million. It's like okay, <laughs> yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, but for like series like this, it's like I, I obviously it's profitable enough to keep on going. But you, I, obviously, you know, we don't know what the profit margins are at a certain point uh, inside that company, especially with like a, a shitload of like games under the series, along with when you factor in like the re-releases of those games as well. So it's not just new entries, but also re-releases of those entries to other platforms over the years. And also like in some cases, like remade versions of those games. Right. I wonder how many of how like what the platform breakdown is for this. Like how I many of those assume, are how many of those are people picking up trails in the sky on Steam discounts? <laughs> yeah, like how much of that is like on PC? Because I want to say like probably at this point like half a million is probably just the trolls in the sky trilogy on pc well there's Not a meme more. on gamatsu someone posted a post seven million different game one sale per game <laughs> <laughs> well when did trails in the sky come out in uh in japan 2006 do i have Ooh, that I in my way uh, <laughs> i don't uh, know off the top of my head <laughs> um do you remember the trails from zero trailer like the original like the original Japanese one, or is it the Azure trailer? They had, I think it was 2 million sales from the series with 2 million sales or something. I oh, did they mention that, that in, in one of the trailers? I, I could have swore in one of the trailers they mentioned that back in the, like the original, like Azure or, or during that time. That's, yeah, that's really interesting to bring up. If they, if they did mention that back then, that kind of gives you a, a bit more perspective of like, hey, where has the, how much has the series been like growing over the years? And that's like a good, like, interesting point in like in history then uh, for this uh, sales data but i don't know i don't know i'm not gonna go find uh, an old ass azure trailer to find out either <laughs> but i think james has a good point if it's two million in two years since the release of like what hajimari like seems pretty good uh we have two anime uh, things to discuss here, which I know oh. is not our for- not our forte, but it is uh, maybe Josh's forte. Uh, and this yeah. one is just released, and I I forgot this one was announced, even though I think we talked about it briefly when it was, and that is the anime adaptation of the Cold Steel arc, at least a portion of it. The Legend of Heroes: Trails of Cold Steel Northern War had its debut trailer uh, revealed in the last week. Now, I did not watch this. I, I think I remember we had uh, an artwork reveal several months back. Like, what are our impressions of the debut trailer? I'll be honest, I haven't watched it. I mean, it's uh, nice that it's it's nice that like it's like a it's a it's a brand, it's a brand new cast. They're not relying on like the Cold Steel characters for this. It it, it gives off like the the specific time period it is. It is definitely something like it's going to be canon to the games, but it's an unexplored part of the games. Um, there's this very specific event in the Cold Steel series uh, that uh, when people talk about the unification arc at the Erebonia um that like something bi- something pretty much bad happens that Reen does and it's like it's kind of weird because like this is the this is this story in the anime is like going to cover that that stuff that like they allude to in later games in the Cold Steel series but they never honestly like, shown honestly if there was anything that uh, justified some sort of like cross media like project i feel like this was always like prime real estate for an anime yeah so. so it's not actually like a game adaptation of like the events depicted in the games it's like actually covering new material that like fleshes out the world and the events uh in cold steel you know just that, that's that's the right way to do it in my opinion i, I just hope they don't have reen and aurelia overshadow everything uh <laughs> oh, with, 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 the, with, with the way the perspective that this shows you like you 
probably will well, I mean the the trailer does kind of allude to this, but you will probably see them, but probably under a different light, let's say. Um with, with the way the the in the way in which this anime depicts this time period from the perspective that it does. So I think I believe I have these details right. The anime uh, is set to debut early 2023, and this debut trailer was posted on the Tatsunoko channel YouTube uh, YouTube channel. So for where it's going to be debuting on. So yeah, don't know any in- information about any like simul simul sub or anything like that. The the yeah, this is the new the new main character here is Lavi. She's uh, born and raised in North Ambria State. So the northwestern part of Zimoria, and then she uh, she serves the the northern Jaegers, which are the largest Jaeger corps in the in the Erebonia. So it uh, covers uh, her and her squads like missions uh, throughout that time period in Joe's uh, history. There's another upcoming anime project that we got more news on today that was announced earlier in the year. We were uh, back in February. We learned that Near Automata, which we has kind of been back in discussion with its upcoming Switch port, uh, Near Automata will be adapted into a TV anime, and we got new news on it as well this week. It will also start airing in early 2023. Uh, it will be under the title near automata version 1.1 a i hope i have that right sometimes it's hard, yeah. it's hard, hard to yeah. know exactly <laughs> yeah it's yeah, 1.1 a. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah and then we got some promotional teaser trailers for this upcoming anime uh and i don't know basically you, we have here in the news post that adam put together that it will feature some changes from the game in order to su- to suit the the obviously the new media format i don't know if we have any details other than the fact that it will have changes uh but it's just you know something uh, yokotaro said like in the during the stream event yeah, like, yeah you know i'm uh, i'm changing things up i'm kind of breaking things and you know if, there, if any, there's anything wrong with it don't blame the staff blame me because i'm probably the reason why it didn't why uh it'll turn out bad or something <laughs> you know the very taro way to kind of deliver it that, that news but yeah, I um, this is uh very interesting. I forgot that Yorotomato was getting a, an anime until like the new trailer earlier today. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it looks nice. Um, Ryoji Masayama is uh, directing it, and I was looking over, you know, some of the recent works that uh, he directed. Um, the internet will remember Blendes because of the uh, Blendes meme from its opening. Surprise. But- <laughs> But um, but he was an assistant director to one of the shows that I like. It, it was on Netflix called The, the Great Pretender, and I, I like I, it's not amazing. It kind of falls apart like later on, but I I really like Great Pretender. Um, but but it was uh, on Netflix and it debuted there. So I'm very interested to see like um, where they go with the uh, because you know as as everything with Taro touches um, with like the, his like series whether it's like Dragon or Nier, it's like. If there's changes in it, like in any other medium, it's like it's going to be somehow canon somewhere down the road. <laughs> or not canon, mm-hmm. but like it's like it's going to be relevant to some stupid thing down the road, maybe. <laughs> oh, probably. But, you know, it looks nice. And the last thing that we have listed here is for Surprise, another Persona concert. This is part of the Persona Super Live concert series. Uh, Persona Super Live P-Sound Wish Crossing Journey is, their, I guess, their 2022 concert name. Uh, according to Gamatsu, at this event in previous years, this is where we've gotten announcements such as like the Persona Dancing Series or Persona 5 Royal or Persona Q2. However, uh, 
Alice has announced that this 2022 edition of the Persona Super Live concert will not feature any new game announcements. I know people yeah, have been kind of uh, stretching for hoping that maybe we'll get a Persona 6 announcement back with their 25th anniversary series of of teases and now with this concert. But it seems like we'll still be left waiting. Uh, don't expect an announcement here in 2022. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll see. They still have that autumn 2022 thing on the site. And like, you know, I thought the the logical thing would be like how they traditionally did was with the concert, but I guess not this one. But just too kind of nice too, you know, because like the concerts they hold like are really, really good. And to me, they're like, they should be the main focus instead of the game announcements. Like I remember there was like this one year where there's there like this, uh, um, what's her name? The, the hacker from Persona 5, I'm blanking her name, the the, the squid girl. Um, there's like a cosplayer. Fataba? Yeah. Yeah, Fataba. There's a there's Fataba cosplayer that's like tap dancing uh like on stage like to like a, a certain theme from the game and like that's really fucking cool that's very talented who the fuck does that that's crazy but yeah the, these concerts i kind of i kind of wish that that wasn't like a standard right i kind of wish that these concerts were just like there for the music and not for the game announcements because you know mm -hmm. people are people should be there for the music and not for the announcements but that it's kind of like game award shows having game announcements and that being the selling point for a lot of people if I go to the Atlas 25th anniversary website, at least the English facing one, they still say more announcements to come. It said that for like the last two years now, but it still says it. I don't know yeah. if the Japanese site still teases that as well, but. Oh, the Japanese site says autumn. Autumn. Yeah. Oh, it does. So, <laughs> hmm. So it's not, so it's not going to be here. So it's probably be, I don't know, later. So sometime in November, December, maybe. Or maybe, or maybe it'll just be like the day after the concert. Be like, here's the the other announcement, which is the day after the concert. <laughs> then they'll be like, hey, we didn't lie to you. It wasn't at the concert. That's and that's the last thing I've listed on the podcast. So um, a normal length again. Hooray. <laughs> no, but it was really cool to be able to hear Adam and uh, Josh discuss their time with Dio Field and obviously have Scott on to talk about Trails from Zero. Really good to get back into games discussion about things we've been playing. So hopefully we'll keep that cadence going forward uh, throughout the next several podcasts because as has been apparent, we have a lot of games coming up. There was, uh, I think the only thing we really didn't discuss today is that there was a new upload uh, for a like a game overview on the upcoming Dragon Quest Treasures, uh, like a five-minute overview about the gameplay systems there. But a lot of that we've kind of well covered in their little newsletters and, of course, with uh, James's hands-on with that game. So yeah. we do that is up. Uh, we covered it on our site. Obviously, it just links to the YouTube upload for that gameplay overview, and that's slated for December in case you forgot. So uh, other than that, you know, just kind of looking forward and trying to find time in our schedules to get to all of these uh so hopefully we'll kind of keep this sort of balance going into the end of the year making yeah, sure that we I, are able to touch on all of these games as they release at least in some capacity looking forward you know look forward to adam's review of the deal field chronicle who's the one mm -hmm. assigned to that and you know i'm very interested to see like his final thoughts on it i'm very excited to, for him to to see the ending of that um i the valkyrie elysium is also releasing this week and um, I, I don't have it yet, but um, I hope to get around to it uh, when it releases, or if we get code in for that. But I'll be taking a look at that game. Um, I, Apologies in advance to Charles fans. I will be talking about like Crimson Sin next yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. My, yeah, my friend, I have a similar arrangement like they did for Kuro One. So even though I'm like I'm going to be busy about Elysium, I'll have his. He'll be streaming his whole entire uh, Kuro Two playthrough. So him and I have a lot of like kind of interpreting and translating for like uh 
other friends this week when he as he plays through that game. Um incoming for for you know in the in my friend's discord server i'm so that. excited like i'm pretty excited too to see like, like the news that came out this week about what happens so early on in like the prologue is like oh shit we're going there i'm, I'm excited yeah so so once again i guess future uh, apologies but like james and i will probably talk about kuro 2 at some point here on this podcast um and yeah it's it's a it's a fun time ahead. It's a fun time ahead. It's a, a good week of releases incoming. So I'm looking ahead into October releases. Obviously, we have some late September arri- uh, arrivals like Valkyrie Elysium and uh, Trails from Zero, which are arriving like the last week of September. And October, of course, we have Star Ocean. Uh, we have Persona Five Royal on PC, which I want to make time for. Um, and then we have uh, games like Triangle Strategy on PC as well. So I don't know if Adam's still interested in that, but uh, it's going to be pretty busy. And hopefully, we'll have a quite a good variety of people poking at different things and revisiting some games from earlier in the year. You know, talking about new games as they release, like Star Ocean. So it'll be a good time. I'm looking. I'm really looking forward to uh, all the impressions as they filter through, both here on the podcast and as they get written and put up on the site. Yeah, there, there, there's a brief moment, like uh, because uh, like earlier on this week, I or last week, I finished like the Cyberpunk Edge Runners anime, and there's like a brief moment. I, a lot. It seems like a lot of people had this uh, moment too of like, should I buy Cyberpunk 2077 <laughs> after watching that uh, show? Apparently, like well, it Josh, has, you should have let me know. I would have bought you a copy because I you... heard it was a birthday the other day, wasn't it? Oh yeah, I mean, still, it could still be my birthday, you know. <laughs> It's, it's still on sale, you know. If you want to buy it, I'm not going to stop you. It was my birthday so two days I, ago. I've heard that the uh, the Edge Runners anime has had really good word of mouth, and I'm pretty interested in it. And I also saw a headline saying that the Steam numbers for Cyberpunk are like reaching new highs. Like uh, CD as of, mm-hmm. I think I'm not sure if it was yesterday or today, but like just recently, Cyberpunk's uh, peak concurrent players past uh, the peak concurrent players for Witcher 3. Yeah, wow. that's what I saw. Wow. That's, yeah, so that anime has done gangbusters. Yeah, that anime has done gangbusters. Similar to how the Witcher Netflix series like, you know, made a big resurgence for Witcher 3 as well. Like these, Some of these are really paying off for... Uh, yeah, these, these cross-media promotions for these things. So yeah, so, 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 well, so well done to like uh, Trigger and CD Projekt Red for just making Edge Runners like a a damn good show you know that was a fun watch yeah it's funny because i keep seeing a bunch of people saying cyberpunk edge runners is the most successful gaslighting campaign <laughs> <laughs> but obviously go back and uh go up to the rpg site to read our reviews and previews that we've covered uh on this podcast like drills from zero uh and like the other the previews that james was able to present as well as harvestella from page uh, also, all the news that you know trickled out of TGS obviously is still only a week or two old. So all that stuff on the site, all the new trailers and footage from that, and of course, look out, look for sorry, uh, look out for Adam's Dio Field Chronicle review as he gets that up in the next week or so. Uh, you can follow RPG site and all the social media channels. We're up on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So just go ahead and give us a follow there. If you do listen to this podcast and you enjoy what we're doing, go ahead and give us a review either on our YouTube upload or our a rating on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. We do like to see those and let us know what we're doing, lo- doing well and let us know what we could work on. Uh, we love reading all those impressions. And uh, go ahead and join our Discord channel if you're interested. We've got a uh, discord.gg slash RPG site. We love to see the uh, the activity in our chat there. 
And of course, we'll be back next week with another edition of the TetraCast as we move into October. The end of the year is quickly approaching. Uh, thanks again so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. Until you hear from us then, stay safe, take care, and we'll talk to you later. Andreas Ronderson.